With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. All right, we are back and uh, perhaps even better than ever. It's the Sons of UCF. It's the 118th episode of the program. My name is Adam. As always, I've got my good friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike. Mike, another uh, another show in the books here coming up soon. How are you, my friend? Everybody is leaving us in Orlando, deserting us, as you would say. But here we are. Once again, like I told you a few weeks ago, you cannot get rid of Adam and Mike, sons of UCF, and we're back for number 118. Yeah, it's funny. Someone from Tennessee tried to call us and said that we were we were traded uh, to the sons of Tennessee, but uh, we resisted the urge. I would not look good in orange. Uh, I'm already uh, orange enough. So um, let's uh, let's get right into it, Mike. Obviously, we've been uh, you know ruminating about these things for the last couple of weeks. We've been doing the uh, Suns UCF live shows featuring our friend Trace Trelkar. We've been covering this from all angles, but uh, now we get a little bit more space here in front of us to to discuss this in more detail. So obviously, we already chronicled the fact that Danny White was uh, heading to Tennessee, and then the shock of all shocks, Mike. Last uh, last Wednesday, we start hearing. Uh, it's official, Josh Heupel to Tennessee. I know you've had some time now to chew on it, and uh, and your overall thoughts on Josh Heupel leaving for Tennessee is what? Well, I think it's probably for the best long term. We all knew that this next year was probably make or break for Heupel. He was going to be on the hot seat. If he had a bad year, he'd be gone, and if he had a really good year, he may be gone anyway to a, uh, an opportunity like that came up for this one with the Tennessee job. So... Uh, overall, I think it's good. I mean, the AD leaving, at least we have now a chance to start fresh, have an AD come in, hire his guy, and start completely all over again, just like we did in 2016 when Danny White came in and he hired Frost. So uh, I, mean, I, was at, I was in shock a little bit. Not really shock, but I was a little surprised by it when the news finally came out on Wednesday morning. You thought it was a smokescreen. I think a lot of people thought it was a smokescreen when Heupel's name came up, but it moved quickly, man. And by nine o'clock on Wednesday morning, he was already doing his press conference. Yeah. It's uh so interesting. You said shocked. I was shocked too. I was not shocked that he was leaving as shocked as I was that someone was taking him. Um, and that's not necessarily meant to be a knock, but I just don't, I didn't suspect that he had done a, a lot to prove to another program that he was the guy that they needed. 
Um, and if there was only one guy in the world who would have thought it, it would have been Danny White. And I just assumed that maybe foolishly, Mike, we we had just talked maybe three episodes ago. Uh, we I read you the Orlando Sentinel article that uh, Danny gave an interview to Matt Mirchell, and I read you some of the quotes, and we were like, hey, is he on the hot seat? Is this the year? Is Danny finally figuring it out? And not only were we dead wrong, not only was, was Josh apparently not on the hot seat, he was so much so on the cold seat that now he's obviously in Tennessee. So uh, that's more of the surprising part. Not that he left, um, but more so that, that someone else uh, kind of wanted to take him uh, just because I didn't think he had you know, proven enough just yet. I, I felt like he, you know, he had had a, another year under his belt. Um, and it's funny when we talked to Jamie say on the sons UCF live show with trace. And uh, I think trace asked her, how would you describe Hypel's tenure? And she said incomplete. And that's kind of where we were. We all assumed he had one more year to kind of get things figured out. This was going to finally be his team. Um, you know, the majority, if not the overwhelming majority of the, the kids on the roster were recruits from him. And so we thought this was his year. So that was kind of the surprising part was not, not that he left, but more so that, uh, I guess that someone was willing to take him. And that someone was Danny White, which we didn't see coming. I think Danny White pretty much ran out of options. I don't think he was his first choice. But with sanctions coming down on Tennessee, he may have had no other choice but to take Keupel with him. And incomplete, that, that's a good way to sum it up. But the way things were going, the way things were trending, this may have happened at the right time. Imagine another season going down in this same direction we were heading the last three years, and we end up under 500, maybe – you know, battling out with the cows for the bottom of the, the American, then we would have to completely start back from scratch like we did when we were winless in 2015. So I think now that he's gone, the, the program still has a good name to it. As you can see, a lot of people want this job. Everybody sees the upside of this job. The, the things that we've been preaching for years, being in the middle of the state of Florida and the facilities and the fan base that has been growing now for the last few years, it's a very enticing job for a lot of people. So I think him being gone at this moment, while we didn't want it to happen maybe right before signing day, mm. I guess didn't really have a big factor. Mm-hmm. Most of the class was already signed anyway. So I, I guess it all, it's all working out, man. And a lot of people wanted Hypo out anyway. So those people must be <laughs> very happy with the way things worked out. Well, if you think about it just from a, a pure business perspective, we, you know, if, if we kept Hypel this year and let's say that the, the season did not go well, um, and, and particularly if we had to bring in a new AD, which in this configuration we would have, Danny, we'd be gone. We bring in a new AD, whether that's a promote from within or if that's somebody from, you know, from outside. Obviously, you know, typically, you know, athletic directors like to be the one to hire their guy, their coach, their person. So Danny probably, you know, left uh, left a, a time for Josh where he was like, oh, man, I'm, you know, things are kind of trending down a little bit. Um, you know, where where am I going to go? New new AD comes in. Um, and, and so from a business standpoint, this went from maybe a problem of us trying to figure out how to pay his buyout to actually getting money to have him go away. Um, and you can say what you want about him as a coach, but that's a really good math inversion right there from having to figure out how the heck did we afford to fire Hypo because we knew we couldn't to, oh my God, how much did we get for Hypel? Um, and obviously in a program where we are cash strapped, um, you know, based on COVID stuff, uh, you know, that, that windfall plus what we get from Danny, uh, you know, in the, in the neighborhood rumored of 6 million bones, um, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. And so, you know, from a business perspective, it allows us to hit a nice hard reset button 
And I think the only thing that you should uh, initially you should or could have been concerned about was the the team reaction. How are the guys going to take this? And Mike, I got to tell you, listen, um, you know, you and I are not newsbreakers. We don't we don't try to pretend that we are some sort of investigative journalist or something like that. But, you know, we've talked to a, a number of different guys uh, on the show over the last couple of years. And while none of them, well, maybe not none of them, a few of them have, have made some comments. Um, nobody flat out came out and said, hey, there's this, you know, there's this whole thing with Heupel and, and there's, you know, some folks who don't don't like him. You know, we'd heard grumblings and rumblings and some things and people told us, you know, something's going on there. We're not sure what it is. Um, but I got to tell you, as soon as it was gone, my first thought was, oh, no, what are the players going to do? And it was like 15 minutes later, pretty much everybody seemed like they were good with it. Um, and that was, you know, at least maybe the most surprising thing was how vocal some of these guys were, particularly a guy like Dylan Gabriel with uh, with Hypo being gone and not a single kid outside of Rico Kearney, who I don't think was on the team anyway, has put their name in the transfer portal since Hypo's left. Uh, and so I don't know what that tells you, Mike, but that was the one thing I was maybe most concerned about that quickly. I was like, oh, we're really uh, we really are going to be good here. <laughs> I was just going to say the transfer portal, usually when a coach leaves. A lot of guys follow. And we got we were scared of that when Frost left. Remember, we were like, oh, boy, who's he going to take with him? And we saw a few guys. Noah Vidral went over there, and Trey Neal ended up going over there. And he probably would have taken a lot more if he could have. Hmm. And it doesn't seem like anybody's following Heupel over to Tennessee. And he said he's not going to take any players with him. But is that because he knows nobody would have went with him anyway? Uh, and it'd be funny to see guys re- – take their name out of the transfer portal now that he's gone <laughs> and see who the no, new coach is going to be. That hasn't happened yet. Well, to be but, fair, hold on a so second. We had, um, uh, I don't know how, how serious he was, but uh, uh, our friend Christopher Deloach, who was on the show with us, he tweeted, maybe I'll just come back now. I don't know if that was a joke <laughs> or not because he had us all one word and, and whatnot. Um, so I, I don't know if that, he was serious or not, but that's the only thing I've seen of guys being like, maybe I will come back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we asked him straight up. Is there a problem in the locker room? He had no reason to hold back other than, I guess, maybe to protect the other guys. But he, you're right. It was pretty funny when he did say that. Um, but, you know, Dylan Gabriel came out and didn't pull any punches, man. He said this two days after Hypo was gone. He said, these are the best two days I've had on campus since I've been here. Uh, that's not coming directly out and saying I'm glad he's gone. But you can't really take anything else from that other than that. So the team seems to be happy about it. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody complain about it or anybody upset about it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, initially there was a couple of tweets. I think there was a couple of guys who had tweeted like a heartbroken emoji uh, right after the news came out. But Kalia Davis, who had, uh, had opted out this past season, uh, is now back with the program. He, he tweeted that the team has grown closer now. Um, you know, a bunch of guys are doing IG stories, which disappear in 24 hours. And, you know, they're saying things like, you know, getting better. And, you know, here we go. Now it's, it doesn't matter who's here. We work in, I think Ryan O'Keefe had some sort of, you know, it doesn't matter who's with us. We're working no matter what. Um, and so it was, it's, it's been kind of shocking the, the reaction. I think we all kind of suspected maybe some things were going on, but to see it kind of come out like that. And then, you had any number of former players kind of kind of pile on a little bit and, and make some comments here and there as well. Um, you know, just it, it's just really curious uh, the the reaction and and knowing that um, you know if our initial concern was hey are we going to be able to hold on to these guys you know that that concern has uh, has definitely been alleviated Mike um, and and I guess we'll see where what happens from here. Everyone seems to be content. Randy Shannon is the interim head coach right now. Um, folks seem to be really good with that on campus. 
Uh, and right now, everything from the players, you know, at least from, from Heupel's perspective is, um, you know, goodbye, see you later. And it doesn't seem like anyone's turning around and looking back behind their shoulder and, and wishing he would walk back through those doors. And the Tennessee fans can't be happy about that, right? They see how happy the UCF fans are to get rid of them and how happy the players are to get rid of them. Uh, if I was them, I'd be, you know, probably a little upset. And did you see his welcome to Tennessee when he <laughs> went did. out there into the arena <laughs> and he started doing the same old hypo talk that he usually does? Uh, I thought it was pretty funny, but yeah, whatever. He had, he had a, he served his purpose. Like we said, he was the bridge coming off the frost years. It was pretty much the hardest job to take over. He did maintain things for that one year and things started to slide now the last couple of years. So he, he served his purpose. The, the, the program didn't go completely in the tank. And now we have a chance to regroup again. Well, and we regroup, we must. So a couple of things have, have taken place that uh, we'll, we'll catch you up to on that. So obviously one of the things that's uh, losing your coach and uh, presumably all the offensive staff, nothing has been announced yet, but it seems 99.9% um, likely that the entire offensive staff, that would include QB coach Joey Halsley, uh, that would recruit uh, include co-offensive coordinator, I guess only offensive coordinator at the time, Alex Golesh, also tight ends coach, O-line coach Glenn Ellerby, um, receivers coach Cody Burns. I don't know where he's ending up. I don't know if he's going to go with Tennessee. There's some rumors he was considering Tennessee and Maryland. I don't know if he's decided that yet. Um, new running backs coach Mike Merritt, I guess, is going with him to Tennessee. That hasn't been confirmed yet. Even a couple of GAs, um, Tyler Hudanik, who used to play on the O-line for UCF, um, and Mitch Milatello, who was a, sort of a GA for the QBs. Um, you know, They both are, are allegedly also going there. So no offensive staff. And you said to yourself, well, this is really going to hurt us in recruiting, right? Well, guess again, Mike, because apparently the best recruiter on our team is still on our team, and that is quarterback Dylan Gabriel because there was a four-star wide receiver recruit out of Hawaii that uh, a lot of schools were after. Um, a lot of the, the signals were that UCF was their front runner. And then on Saturday, Mike Titus, Mokiao, Atamalala. I don't know if I said that right. I think I did. Um, <laughs> Mokiao, Atamalala uh, committed to UCF without a head coach, without an offensive staff, and without an athletic director, he actually said he can't wait to play in the offense. I don't know what offense he's referring to because we don't really have an offense right now. But uh, Heupel got outcoached by an empty chair. <laughs> I guess I'm sorry, out-recruited by an empty chair. I'm not even attempting the last name. Mokiao Atamalala. There we go. I'm going to call him Titus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there you go. Our best recruiters, at least for the Hawaiian guys, are the other Hawaiian guys on our team. And it started with Mackenzie Milton when he brought Gabriel over, and now Gabriel's doing the same thing to Titus. And the other offensive lineman, which I always screw up his name, so I'm not going to try that either. Uh, but that, again, speaks volumes to Hypo leaving not really having an effect on the team. This guy, who knows? You think he would have committed if Hypo were to stay? I guess we'll never know the answer to that. But it was down to some pretty big-name schools. You had USC out there. He could have stayed in Hawaii. Uh, who, who were the other offers? He had everybody. Nebraska was one of them. Yeah, UCLA, Nebraska, USC, Hawaii. Um, I think there was one. Arizona, I think, maybe was one more. And all those schools probably thought, once hypo has gone, well, UCF's out of the picture. They have no shot of landing this kid. They don't even have a coach. And he doesn't care. He does not care. Dylan Gabriel's here. That's all he needs to know. And he knows when Gabriel is here, we're going to still have, no matter what coach comes in, I mean, they'd be an idiot not to let Gabriel throw the ball around, right? Yeah. So he knows he's going to get passes his way anyway. 
Well, make sure, who did we? Who did he rec- uh, commit to? Who did he call and say he was coming here? <laughs> I mean, who? They just he just called yeah, in the office and was like hoping someone would pick up, and he was like, "Man, no one's answering, mom. I don't know, man. Maybe they, maybe they want to eat. I don't really like. Who did he even call to recruit or to commit? But, um, but still, still good. I mean, it just it was kind of a succession of a couple of really, you know. I don't want to say positive things because losing a coach and an AD is never really a positive. Well, maybe not, but you know, it just seemed like, you know, the momentum continued to swing positive. The kids were all positive. The players were positive. We grab a four-star, you know, wide receiver recruit a position that we desperately needed Mike with, um, with all the guys who, who declared and, and losing a straight cradle. Uh, and so we kind of reload from that perspective, but um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the good news rolls on, um, and then, then there's this whole "who's the new coach going to be" angle, Mike. So let's let's spend a few minutes talking through um, at least what we're hearing from coaches and, and names that you should know about. So the AD search, Mike and I have no clue who that's going to be. Scott Carr seems to be the popular name, but obviously there's a search firm right now which is Turnkey uh, ZRG. I, I wish it was ZFG; be a lot, it'll be a lot more funny. Um, but <laughs> Turnkey ZRG is searching uh, right now for our athletic director. Obviously, a whole handful of names, but no, none of those names you guys know any anything well enough about to care about. So, you know, there's a, the guy from Louisiana, the guy from North Texas. So we'll see. Uh, but the coaches' names are the ones that are probably more interesting. So here are the three names, Mike. I think that we've heard the most, or that there's been the most smoke about. A, Gus Malzahn. There's some people saying that Gus desperately wants back into the game, um, and he's willing to and wants to uh, prove that he is indeed a good coach after getting ousted at Auburn and that he thinks UCF represents a good opportunity. B, another former Auburn coach, Gene Chizik, who has ties to UCF. He was UCF's defensive coordinator. The Orlando Sentinel's Mike Bianchi wrote an article that was pretty much clearly written by uh, by Gene Chizik, uh, essentially saying why Gene Chizik should be the choice for UCF. And then C is uh, Old Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby, who obviously was with UCF for the previous two seasons on the offensive staff as well, Mike. So those are the three names that are kind of being thrown about right now. Um and here's the problem. Um, I think it's up to 35 different players now have tweeted their support for Jeff Levy. Not uh, not the least important of which is Dylan Gabriel, who continues to do so. Hashtags, a lot of different posts with the hashtag JL, which would be Jeff Levy. Uh, the players, Mike, seem to be all in that Jeff Levy should be the next head coach for UCF. Um, is that good news or bad news? I was just going to ask you, didn't we already name Jeff Levy as the head coach? <laughs> According to the players and most of the fans, I, I don't know if it's good news or bad news. I mean, I, I see. I, I think it's good that the players, if he is hired, that they wanted him here, and then they really have no excuses, right? They, they got the guy they wanted. But to be so vocal about it kind of puts UCF in a tough spot, I think. What happens if we don't hire Levy? Now, are these guys still all in? Are they still ready to work, depending on who the coach is? Or then do we see people transfer out? It's a tricky situation. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it. Because, like I said, I think the UCF AD now, whoever it is, basically has his back against the wall. He has to hire a levy or else he may face repercussions. The other two names are guys with experience, guys who have been head coaches. That's the one thing about Levy is he's been an offensive coordinator when he was here, he didn't even call the plays. So I don't even know how much Lane Kiffin let him call the plays in Ole Miss. I, I'm assuming he did. So, But that's one year of calling plays as an offensive coordinator is all of a sudden the resume you need to be a head coach. You know that was always my one gripe against Heupel 
is that he only coached the offense and he had the same thing coming in. He was just an offensive coordinator and never got a full grasp on the whole team. And are we going to do the same thing over again with Levy? That's my one fear with the Levy whole, the whole Levy situation. Well, and yeah. then what does he do at defense? Yeah, let's let's do plus minus here. Let's do strengths and, and opportunities here. So strengths for Levy. So a obviously, um, what you're what you're maybe not getting in experience um, right off the bat. You are absolutely getting um, in um, consistency, continuity, and team unity. I mean, the, 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 one of the toughest things for any coach to do is get buy-in from your players when, when you walk in the door. Lebby's already walking in with that buy-in, right? It seems like at least the offensive side that we've seen, they are all bought in. There's some consistency with what he, do, what he does. They, they know that already. There's some continuity because of his time there. So what you give up in experience, you get, you get quickly in continuity and um, sort of buy-in, which, again, sometimes takes months, even years to, to get that part. Now, to your point, he's never been the, the main guy. Here's his resume for those who don't recall. He was a GA at Oklahoma from 2002 to 2006. Spent some time in the, in the high school ranks. From 08 to two, uh, 2016, he was with Baylor. Uh, so he was an, a QB coach. He was a running back coach. He was a passing game coordinator. Uh, and he was part of that Baylor offensive system that put up a ton of points, that same Baylor team that we beat in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Uh, things ended badly at Baylor, um, largely due to Lebby's father-in-law, Art Bryles. He then takes a 17 season at Southeastern, which is a, a small college in Lakeland. And that's the first time, Mike, he was the offensive coordinator. First time he called plays in 2017. He then comes with Hypel in 18 and 19. First serves as QB coach, then as co-OC, but did not call plays either of those seasons. And then spent the 20 season here at Ole Miss, where allegedly he did call plays. So that that's his resume. Um Light on um, some of the actual in-game management experience, um, but he does bring uh, credibility. He does bring buy-in. Uh, Mike, and he, he brings um, somebody that at least the team is willing to rally around and really to um, ready to kind of unify under. I, the one thing I do think is interesting about all this is that, you know, the the team is basically, in my opinion, with this Levy stuff, they're basically saying we want our team back. And by that, I mean we want – the, the family atmosphere, we want the, to be close as a team. We want to, to kind of unify and, uh, and come together. And whether that's a knock on Hypel, I don't really know. But I, I see that as a kind of a vote for unity to, to give us our team back so we can go out there and, and do the things that we know how to do. That's what you're getting in Levy, but you're giving up um, some of that in-game um, coaching management experience. Right, and you're also getting a guy that may not be here more than two, three years, mm-hmm. as we've already experienced the last, in the last two coaches. So the players that are on the roster now may not care about that. I mean, they're only here for the freshmen are going to be here for four years, maybe five. And guys like Dylan Gabriel only have two years left. So whether if, if Levy leaves with them, I'm sure it doesn't make a big difference to them, but for fans and for us, I know a lot of us want somebody that's going to be here for a while. We've been asking for it. Whether now is the way, the way we do things now seems to be just get the hot coordinator guy and be successful. And then when somebody hires him away, then we do it all over again. And it worked with Frost. Did it work with Heupel? I don't know. So are, what are we batting in it in that strategy? Are we one for two? Are we two for two? How do you want to, how do you want to consider it? Uh, eventually, the, the more times you do that, eventually you're going to run into one of these guys that's just not going to work. And it's just going to set your program back. Right? Yeah. I think about it like in baseball. Nowadays, the strategy is instead of having your starter go seven, eight, nine innings, 
they, they go three, four, they had the opener. He goes four, two, two innings, three innings. Then you're relying on four or five different guys to come in. Eventually, one of those guys is going to have a bad inning and screw it up. And, and that's what I'm fearing with the, having a new coach every two, three years. Have one guy come in and just completely blow the system up, and then we really got to start over. That's what I'm scared of. The other thing with Levy that he does bring potentially is um, some familiarity with Randy Shannon and his defensive staff. So I think the Randy Shannon thing is an underlooked um, uh, part of this whole process. So one of the one of the many parting gifts Danny gave us was that that under the table two year extension for uh, for Randy Shannon that continues to pay him a million dollars a season. But the buyout is if he's basically released before the end of that contract. He's owed the the full figure, right? So essentially, it's going to cost us at least a million dollars to get rid of Randy Shannon at this point. So is that a, is that a figure that we are uh, we are willing to swallow? Does that take our six million dollar buyout money we get from Tennessee and really make it a five million dollar buyout? And does that still give us enough money to hire new coaches, to you know hire offensive staff, do all those things? Uh, who really knows? So. At least, you know, Lebby has worked with Randy. They have some form of relationship, whether it's good or not. I don't know. But at least he understands the situation there. Um, and if we need to keep Randy for at least one more season based on contract needs, you would think at least Lebby's a guy who um, potentially could be willing to do that based on their history. All right. Yeah, financially, I think Levy, it works out best with him, too. Like you just said, we probably end up making money on the deal with the buyout stuff and keeping Randy Shannon. Whereas if we hired one of these guys like Malzahn or Chizik, they may demand more money than Levy coming in. And then they have to replace the entire staff. So financially, it, it makes sense to go with Levy too. So he's got a lot of pluses in his in his uh, pro minus, however you want to say it. <laughs> well, <laughs> pro con. Plus, plus minus, minus, pro con, yeah. Well, the other thing, obviously, is there's some allegations, or maybe allegations of the word. There's some insinuations better word that um, he would potentially bring former UCF great running back Kevin Smith back to UCF with him. And that's the other thing about all of this, no matter who you get um, is what's the, what's the assistant coach salary pool going to look like. Everybody's floating around all these names that we should pick up. We should go get Sean Becton back. We should go get Darren Hinshaw. We should go get Kevin Smith. These guys are all P five level coordinators. They're, they're all making pretty good money, more money. I'm going to guess than what their predecessor was making uh, on Hypo staff. So the, you know, the the budget for assistant coaches is going to be uh, is going to be important as well. So Levy checks a lot of boxes, but again, the the one main box he doesn't check, Mike, is just really that head coaching experience. That we've never seen him lead a program. You know, we don't know what kind of uh, overall leader he'll be from that perspective. Although, again, the players seem pretty um, pretty happy about it. Then you've got uh, you've got Gene Chizik, Mike. Let's go Gene Chizik next. Uh, Chizik uh, was the Iowa State head coach in 0708, compiled a robust five and nineteen record. Uh, he failed forward into the Auburn job, which brought him 33-19, including the 2010 National Championship led by Cam Newton. He was 3-0 in bowl games. He spent 98-2001 to at UCF as a defensive assistant. And after he was let go at Auburn in 2012, he spent some time in North Carolina as a D coordinator. Hasn't coached since 2017. He's been doing some pro- broadcast stuff. He is a Florida guy from Tarpon Springs, went to the University of Florida, um, Mike, he's a name that, you know, Bianchi threw it out there and some other folks are whispering about, uh, he's interested to get back in the game. He's not looking to kind of move up anymore. He's already kind of sunset that part of his career. He's looking to find a place where he can coach football and just kind of ride it out. George O'Leary style. So give me uh, but he's a defensive guy. So if he comes in, I would think that Randy Shannon would probably have some challenges staying on the staff at that point. So give me the plus minus for Gene Chizik. Well, you just said it. He's, he knows the program. 
He's been here before. And we had some pretty good defenses when we had Chizik around. Uh, it's the same model as the O'Leary, which you can say worked out. He had his ups and downs too, but that, in the long term, that did work out. A defensive-minded guy who is an older, experienced coach that wants to make this his last stop. Those are pluses. His minuses are without um, what's his name, Cam Newton, as his quarterback. He didn't have a very good record as a head coach. <laughs> and yeah, he was coaching in the SEC. It's a tough division with Alabama. But even the years he was there, I don't think I was even saving even there yet. Uh, he would have been so. at uh, LSU. Okay. For but he so may he have just been starting over. Yeah. But um, not a great record as a head coach. But sometimes a, a coach is better in his second stop. Yeah, and guys get they learn from their experiences. We've seen that all the time. Uh, look at a guy like Andy Reid, who was really good with the the Eagles, but always found a way to lose big games and did stupid things. And now he's with the Chiefs, and he's a genius. Of course, a lot of that has to do with your quarterback. And if you and same thing with Chizik, when he had a good quarterback and he had Cam Newton, he won a lot of games. And he can come here and win a lot of games. I think he could be successful in the American Conference with a guy like Dylan Gabriel as his quarterback. Me personally, I like defensive-minded coaches. I've never been a fan of these 55-52 games. There are a bunch of heart attacks waiting to happen. Um, but I see the the reasoning of getting the offensive coaches, especially in days like say that's what sells tickets, and that's what we need to do more than anything is make money for the program. We're not getting the money from TV deals. We're not getting sponsorships like these other big-time schools. So we have to make money selling tickets, and that's what we've done the last few years is put out high-powered offenses, and people love to watch that stuff. And it's exciting for people. People are drawn to that, especially these younger kids. They give me a flashy uniform and a bunch of touchdowns, and they're all in. So uh, he comes with his pluses and minuses too. He has the experience, and he's let it be known that he wants to be here. He wants to end his career here. Now, how much of that is talk? I don't know. <laughs> he, could call, he could say that all he wants coach here for three years have a great three years and then somebody like texas comes along and say hey you want to come be the coach and he'd be out of here well he'd have to bring a really good offensive coordinator with him because obviously offense is not his strong suit um yeah to your point we, we saw his offense his offensive coordinator at auburn was actually gus malzahn ironically enough uh, so he'd have to bring a good offensive coordinator with him uh, who can and maybe still do some of those things you're talking about mike have a high-powered offense be able to put points on the board um, you know, leverage our, our skill players and, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel's skill set. So that, that he would have to do that. Like he, you can't come in the door, um, without a good OC and, and, you know, if he, again, if with any of these guys outside of Jeff Levy, there's going to have to be something I think that the players at least can feel good about. Does Chizik still carry that weight? I mean, he's hasn't coached in so long. Um, you know, Dylan Gabriel is what, 20 years old, Mike. So, uh, um, do I, have, I don't know if I have that math right. So let's say he was born in, in 2000. He was 10 years old when Cam Newton and Gene Chizik won a national championship. You know what I mean? Like, is that even something that he remembers, even, you know, thinks of from a legacy perspective? So that could be the only thing is just being seen as, as kind of out of touch um, and, and, you know, being out of the game for so long. Does he still have, you know, the, the skills um, and, and sort of the, the wherewithal to be able to connect with today's players? I think that might be. That may be the minuses for Chizik, and then, and then there's this former uh, offensive coordinator, 
one Gus Malzahn, who was just let go this past season at Auburn. Obviously, UCF fans know Malzahn really well. We beat him in the in the Peach Bowl in 17. Uh, he spent a year at Arkansas State, and then from 2013 to 2020, 63 wins and 35 uh, losses. Lost the 2013 national championship game. Was only two and five in bowl games, Mike, uh, and uh, and obviously brings an interesting resume with him. He was kind of an offensive guy, but Auburn's offense is really stalled. Outside of Cam Newton, can you name one quarterback that went to Auburn? I'll save you the trouble. No, you can't. So he hasn't necessarily done anything that you would say, wow, this guy's an offensive genius, uh, but that's the side of the ball that he's on. Um, you know, he might be one of those guys who's looking to get a, a retread um, to a, to jump back into a, a P5 type of school. Kind of show that he wasn't, uh, he shouldn't have been, you know, let go. He wasn't done yet, uh, but he's got something to prove, which could be interesting. Um, but he might also be a rental type of guy, Mike. So give me the plus minus on Gus Malzahn. Yeah, he'd be the last of my, out of these three, he'd be my third choice, for every reason you just said. Not not only does he not bring the excitement of Levy. But he also has the risk of leaving after a couple of years because I don't see him as a long-term guy. The one thing that Chizik has in his favor. Uh, plus, I mean, what did he really do in Auburn? He, he didn't do much. The, his one big thing that he has is that he, he beat Nick Saban a few times. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's his one thing on his resume. But other than that, he kind of underperformed. What were they, 8-5, and 7-4? and four? Years like that where if he does that here, it's his fast way out. So eh, I'm not sold on Malzahn. He's an offensive guy, but like you said, his offense hasn't even been that great. So what is he? <laughs> you know, He's not somebody that's going to get the fan base excited. And the players probably, they haven't mentioned him at all. I, I don't see him being an option. Yeah, I think that would be a huge, uh, a huge mistake on UCF's part. Um, is to go Malzahn. I think uh, to your point of all the people on this list, that's the one that I would be really, really scared about because I, I just don't know that he's got the chops to stay here long enough. And again, to your point, I, name a quarterback that he's, you know, he's coached up outside of, uh, outside of Cam Newton. Um, you know, if, if, for any, if anything, Auburn struggled for all those years trying to find a, a quarterback. They were using receivers and their quarterback would go back out to receiver. And, you know, he could never quite find that guy. So I would be reluctant to turn Dylan Gabriel over to him um, and say that, you know, that, that you know he gets the keys to to kind of that offense, Mike. But these are some of the names. Obviously, there's more that are out there, um, and and there's going to be more that are out there. Obviously, we're going to continue to hear more and more stuff, Mike. But the reality is, you know, whoever you hire, if your name is not Jeff Lebby, it's going to be a really interesting um, scenario to see what happens at that point, Mike. Because then then that could be the upheaval portion of the sort of this hypo leaving thing that that may come to fruition. You know, if, if for whatever reason the new hire isn't somebody that people like, and again, other names are still available out there. Tony Yellow from Clemson is a name that you hear a lot. Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina is a name you hear a lot. Um, Billy Napier is a name. Graham Harrell's a name. But you just got to wonder, are, would any one of these guys be able to continue to um, get the get the guys excited about staying at UCF, or is it really going to be levy or bust at this point? Yeah, and all those guys you just mentioned are guys that you know are using us as a stepping stone. Yeah. The, the guy from Clemson, Elliot's going to come over. You telling me he's going to stay here long term? No, he's going to use us for two years and he's out. Same thing with a lot of these guys, Graham Harrell. So they're in the same boat as Levy. And Levy has the, the upper hand right now. He's got the players on his side. He's got a lot of the fans on his side. And if he's bringing Kevin Smith with him, I think it makes it a no-brainer for a lot of people that he's their first choice. And I'd give Chiswick the second shot. 
because just because he's a guy that can stay here for a while and build this program. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I, it makes sense to go with Levy, at least for now. And if it doesn't work out, he's out of here in a couple of years anyway. I mean, Chiswick's not going anywhere, right? So if Levy goes for two years and things don't turn around, right, then you'd knock back on Chiswick's door, I guess, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Levy just checks a lot of boxes, right? I mean, I, I think it's almost one of those one of those value propositions, Mike. Is what do you value more? Do you value the fact that he can walk in the locker room on his very first day and look everybody in the eyes and go, "Let's go do this," and everyone's going to jump up and down and be like, "Let's go." And, you know, you hope that the fact that the guys are rallying around him means that they're going to, you know, take that extra rep in practice and they're going to run that extra sprint and they're going to, you know, they're going to take that extra hour of film study because this is the guy they want and they're excited to go play for him and they've got something to prove now. You know, now we've got our coach. Now we've got the system we want. Now we've got the family we want. Now we've got the team we want. Everybody get out of our way because now we're going to be super motivated, right? How much is that worth to you, right? Is that worth saying, hey, he's got – you know, three years of head coaching experience. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think anyone really does, but that that's where this value proposition comes down to. He, he's cheaper. He, he's got buy-in. And how much do you weigh that against, um, you know, spending some money for a Malzahn or, you know, trying to trying to spend a little bit of money for a Chiswick um, and not knowing kind of if he's going to be able to, to get the respect from the team? I saw our friend Antoine Pope posted a video a couple of days ago when this all started breaking. And he said, for the whoever is making the decision, pay attention to the players because when he was in that situation, they all wanted Chizik at that time. Remember, he was their defensive coordinator. Yep. When Kruzek was gone, they wanted Chizik to come in and replace him. And he says, if you listen to the players and take who they want, then they will play for that guy. They will play harder for that guy. They ended up not going with Chizik, breaking away from the whole system, cleaning it all out, and O'Leary came in. And we saw right away the guys – did not buy in and he had to kick a lot of guys off that team we had a very young team his first year and we didn't win a game but uh, if you go with somebody like chiswick this time around the same thing may happen we may have a bad start to this to his tenure here but in the long run it ended up paying off with o'leary so in the long run maybe something like chiswick might be better off but in the short term the next couple of years having levy in with his guys the guys that want him here that may be what's best in the short term well, this is also the worst possible time, right? Because if there's going to be any expansion uh, from a Power 5 standpoint, the prevailing theory is that comes up in the next two to three years when TV contracts start to come come loose and, and they make some changes, right? So now would not be the time to you know to basically lose the team, have to start this thing all over again and kind of do a GOL-type reset, right, where you're kind of bringing an out, outside guy and all of a sudden we struggle right at the time where – uh, you know, we need uh, we need to kind of show who we are. So um, that, that that could be a, just a terrible timing perspective where Levy makes sense, at least keep this thing rolling um, to some extent and uh, and hope the kids keep that buy-in going. Yeah, even more reason for Levy then to come in for a couple of years, do a great job, and then if he leaves for a better job anyway and we end up going to a P5, then who cares? And we can hire whoever we want at that point. Or maybe he wouldn't even want to leave if we were to move up. So, yeah, the more we talk it out, I think the more I'm comfortable with the levy hire. Um, the only thing I'm scared of is it's the same thing as Heupel, where he's just an offensive guy. I don't know. Yeah. We don't know how, how Levy's going to react as a game manager. What's he going to do on fourth and three you know, in the fourth quarter when you're down by four? And, you know, things like that. We have no idea how he's going to react. So 
we'll all have to learn together when that happens. Yeah, I mean, people say the same thing, though, when we hired Frost. We had no idea he had never done that same thing before. And, uh, you know, obviously you, you can't always say, well, that's that's probably the best it's ever going to be. And it worked out that way. So, you know, it, that just kind of the leap of faith that you have to take is saying, OK, you know, he's going to have to learn on the job. The thing we said about a hype all the time was he was still a young coach, despite the fact how, how old he was in actual physical age. You know, he was a young coach making those young decisions. And obviously we saw him struggle uh, a bunch. Um, so I think either way, we're, we're probably in that same boat. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out again. Obviously, the, the thinking is that, uh, you know, we're recording this on Monday, February 1st. The thinking being that by the end of this week, hopefully there's an athletic director in uh, at least identified. And there's some conversations starting with that person. Uh, and then they can make a hire there. And then hopefully sometime in the very uh, near future after that. So maybe the following week. That, that we have a coach identified and uh you know it could go as conventional as easy as saying scott carr congratulations you've been promoted to ad and scott carr says congratulations jeff love you're my coach this thing could all be wrapped up in two weeks and everybody goes home happy or ucf could blow this thing up and come up with a, a random name from out of the blue as the uh uh you know as the new uh, athletic director and then kind of all bets are off but no matter what all that stuff is mike you know we're going to find out all the information you want to know about all this stuff right here that's right my friends right here only in the sons of ucf and maybe even on the sons of ucf live show as well which is coming each and every thursday night at uh, 8 p.m so don't uh don't be afraid to uh, to tune into that and enjoy we'll also put that out in podcast form so uh so you can have uh, have some fun with that too but uh let's take a quick little break here mike we'll talk hoops for just a quick moment and then we'll uh move on to the next thing so a uh, quick commercial sons of ucf returns right after that All right, uh, we're back. Commercial over. Uh, also over, probably, Mike, is our men's basketball season. We had a tough, 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 tough loss at Wichita State. But let, let's be positive for a second here. Um, I thought they played a lot better. I mean, there was a game that we uh, we were in. We kept fighting. We, we had some, uh, some momentum on our side for a while there, double overtime. Um, and uh, um, we had a chance to, to come out with a win, and uh, not so much. We blew that game, man. That's a game we should have won. We had that game won on a couple of occasions. There at the end of the game, we were up. How, what was our lead? Like eight, nine points there in the last few minutes? And somehow let it slip away. Then we come out in overtime, score the first five, six points, and it looks like we can take over the game there and somehow let that slip away again. Very frustrating game to watch, especially there at the end. But you're right, there were, there were bright spots. It looked like moments where, hey, we were the better team. We had a lead at the half. We were outperforming these guys. We were out-rebounding them. We were, we were hitting our shots. Um, Mayhem with a couple of threes. The team was not looking bad. Mobley, again, with some nice passes. And then we just couldn't finish it off, couldn't find a way to finish off the game and get the win. Very frustrating. Uh, and it's been the story of the season, man. Story of the season. You know who had a really good game that I liked the way he was playing? It was Reynolds. Jamil Reynolds, yeah. I was, that's where I was going was, next, yeah. Probably his best game of the season. Um, seven for nine from the field. He was dunking on people with authority. Uh, I, I loved what I saw out of him. So you got a couple of freshmen now having good years with Reynolds and Adams. Some building blocks. But other than that, this season is pretty much in the books. 
Yeah, you mentioned Reynolds, 17 points, eight boards. Uh, he got 26 minutes. That's the most he's played in a long time. Like He, he was playing really well on the inside. Uh, but if you want to know the tale of how this game uh, kind of breaks away, uh, here it is for you. You ready? 23 turnovers. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Reynolds, actually, the guilty party. He had five. Uh, Walker, Adams, Perry each had three apiece. Jerry Fuller had three apiece. Uh, as well, I mean, it's just uh, turnovers. We turn the ball over too much, uh, and you know when when it it came time to figure out who who wants to make a shot, Mike. That's where things got a little bit you know a little bit squirrely for us. We just could not hold them. Reynolds had seventeen. Mahan had had uh, seventeen. Fuller had thirteen. Isaiah Adams had twelve. Um, it, it just it, we, it was right there, Mike. It was right there for the taking, um, and it just we couldn't close. And it just strikes me as a team that has not a lot of time playing together was finally putting some stuff together. You know, uh, even you think about Reynolds, Reynolds played 26 minutes. CJ Walker only played 16 minutes. Um, so Reynolds got more run than he usually gets. That means he's on the court with guys. He's not been on the court with a bunch. Uh, we saw Dre Fuller a lot in the end there over Darius Perry. Um, not sure how we feel about that. Fuller was obviously sort of, sort of the, the better scorer from, from the field, at least in that game. Uh, so you had guys who were on the floor who, who weren't used to playing with each other. Um, again, chemistry continues to, to kind of have to move around a little bit. I think we've had at least these same eight guys playing for a few games in a row. But uh, it just seems like we, we can't figure out a way to get it all together when we need to the most. Um, but I, I like the fight. I mean, I'm, I, mean, I know it's a loss and there's no, you know, there's no moral victories. But, I mean, you said it. They came out. They played really well in the first half. Uh, you know, they were they were kind of holding their own. I mean, obviously, Wichita, uh, it's a tough place to play. There were some fans there, but it wasn't their, you know, their, their typical uh, crowd. Um, you know, even with a with a small halftime lead, uh, you, you still you still felt good about where we were. And it just, you know, it just 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 couldn't come together. But at least you saw um, Mayhan break out of a slump a little bit. We'll see if he can keep that going. But he finally, at least for the first time in at least maybe two weeks, looked like he was kind of getting back to that, that Mayhan we saw earlier in the year. Right. And. We were shutting them down early in the game because this kid, Etienne, couldn't hit a shot to start the game. And then he caught fire, man. We couldn't stop him. We had no answer for him. Um, Fuller. The only reason the game went to overtime is because they fouled Fuller and put him on the line. Otherwise, we would have blew that game in regulation. But that's a game we got to end up finding a way to win. And I don't know what it's going to take. Hopefully, we get a couple of these. We can start pulling them out towards the end of the year to build for next year, but that's all the rest of the season is now. It's just finding, getting comfortable with these guys for next season. Well, hoping these guys come back next season. I guess we can we can ruminate on that. But this is a brutal stretch of games for UCF, obviously. As we're recording, we're getting th- thwarted by Memphis. Then we turn around on Wednesday, play Memphis again. Then we go Saturday to Tulsa. So four straight road games against four really tough teams. And then, oh, by the way, we return back home um, on the 10th, and we play Wichita at home. So... Uh, not not an easy stretch for UCF, and this is a, a stretch you'd love to see them at least be competitive. Mike, get it, get in some battles for some games, um, you know, be able to at least uh, kind of hold their own a little bit. Uh, so you'd love to see them be able to pull that off right now. Again, it's not looking great as we record this against Memphis, uh, but I I did like the fight. Uh, I liked what I saw of other guys. Johnny's at least got them playing hard at times. It just feels like it's a young team that needs to gel together and. Um, you know, they're doing it on the fly. They're doing it live in games and they're, they're taking their lumps. If this team can stay together, um, I know some of these guys are going to graduate and, and move on probably, you know, but if Darren Green wants to come back, if CJ Walker hangs around, if Isaiah Adams hangs around, if Jamil Reynolds hangs around with Tony Johnson coming back healthy and some of the guys are bringing in recruiting, you're at least building some, some, you know, you're kind of building some calluses 
to potentially be a better team in the next season. Um, at least you want to see some fight, but those, the, 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 we gotta we gotta figure out a way at some point to close out one of these close games. I would have signed up for two and two on this four game road trip, and getting that first one would have been huge. Now that we lost that one, it looks like we're gonna lose again tonight. You're lucky to get one out of four. Maybe we can bounce back on a Wednesday night. The game in Tulsa is a place we've never won at, as we all know. So we're looking at another long losing streak. We had we lost five in a row, and we finally pulled one out. Now here we go again. Maybe another four or five game losing streak. Put that together. That's losing what ten out of eleven. That that's blouses for the season. Blouses, my friends. All right, well, uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to do a quick little interview here. Uh, former Knight great, who uh, his name was, uh, first of all, his name is really kind of interesting because it's very confusing. You'll understand that in a moment. And uh, he was in the news recently for some things that he said that also raised some eyebrows. So we'll ask him about that as well. Uh, the Suns of UCF, uh, we're rolling on here. Don't go anywhere. Right back after this. The Suns have a new interview. Listen up. All right, my next guest, uh, well, he was in the end zone a lot at, uh, at UCF. He caught a lot of passes. Uh, he was part of one of the most prolific offensive in UCF, UCF history uh, and uh, also had a nice little NFL career as well. Uh, happy to have uh, Doug Gabriel, former nice receiver, on the show with us this evening. Uh, Doug, first off, thanks for taking some time to join us tonight. Anytime, anytime. Well, let's start here. Obviously, uh, you, you you played two seasons at UCF. Um, you transferred in in the in the one year. How did you decide, and what what uh, what attracted you to come to UCF? Um, just the the whole thing of getting an opportunity to play receiver. Because crazy and funny part is, I was only recruited really for safety to play safety for Florida State at the time. I committed to Florida State, but. You know, they said they was going to give me an opportunity to play, but they signed four of the receivers. So I was like, well, I got, I want to play receiver. And UCF gave me an opportunity. How much did, uh, did, did Coach Mike Kruzek's offense entice you? Obviously, back then, everyone sees you know teams you know, throwing the ball all around the yard now. But uh, back in those days, that wasn't really the, the norm in college football. How much did uh, the Kruzek's offense uh, excite you about playing in that system? It, it was a lot because just sitting talking to him and talking to him and Coach Beck and understanding what type of offense they was running. It was more a offense, uh, NFL-style offense. So that's what I wanted to get used to and be able to play, you know, with the, you know, the side routes, choice routes and stuff like that. It gave us an opportunity to, you know, create and understand and read defense. Your very first game for UCF was in 2001. We're playing at Clemson, top 25 team, and we're hanging in there with them pretty much the whole game. They, they end up beating us pretty much with a fake field goal trick play for a touchdown. What do you remember about that game? Uh, what I remember about that game, it was the, the crowd level, um, just how, how loud it was. You know, not being, you know, first time playing in a situation like that was just amazing. It was amazing for me. The next week, you score your first touchdown on a Hail Mary from Brian Miller right before halftime against Syracuse. You got some memories Brian on, on that Miller. one? <laughs> oh, yeah, Brian Miller. Uh, it was just the fact that we was having a good game. Snyder went down, and we was all just like, you know, man, we got we to gotta make something happen. And Brian Miller comes in, and everybody knows Brian Miller had a – he had the biggest arm I've seen 
you know, at that time. And it was just like, man, you know, it will be real funny that we can go down here and score. I think we made like two plays and then time was running around, running out. And then we called to Hail Mary and it was just like we all ran down and I just seen the ball and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go up and try to get the ball. And then I went up and grabbed it and I was like, man. Okay, we're we're good now. Let's play. <laughs> well, Doug, towards the end of that 0-1 season, you had a uh, you had some back-to-back breakout games. You went three for 124 and two TDs against Liberty. Then you went seven for 142 and two TDs against Louisiana Monroe. And the last game of the year against Louisiana, you caught two more touchdowns. Uh, what kind of clicked for you in that in that back half of that season? What uh, what do you think helped you kind of go on that that run there towards the end? Um, I just think um, uh, Coach Cruz, you know, they they started to trust and believe in what I can do, and you know, working more with Coach Back just so I know and get the offense like down packed that he's thinking, and just go out going out there and play. So I felt like once I got used to the offense and stuff like that, and Coach Back just say, just go out there and play. You know everything, just go out there and play, and I just let it all go. Well, the next year was uh, was 2002, and for those who don't remember, UCF was independent. We did not have a conference affiliation prior to that. 2002 was the first year that we uh, we had some some MAC opponents. Um, kind of knowing that that's where this was heading, and, and obviously, you know, the first time getting a you know getting a chance in a conference, Doug. How much did that motivate you and your teammates to to kind of go and show and prove what kind of team UCF was? Um, it was it was a lot because it seemed like UCF at the time everybody knew. Every, it felt like UCF was just one of them, like, dump-off schools. It seemed like, yeah, Florida, Florida State, Miami didn't choose. Everybody went to UCF. You know, and then you had guys, from, you know, like myself came from junior college. So it was just like we can make a statement if we go out here and perform to the level we know we can perform up to. And that's what we did. That's what we did. And I think we all had something to prove. And that was the same year that they chose Florida State over us, even though we had a better record than Florida State that year for a bowl game. You started off 2002 season hot. You talked about the crowd in Clemson the, the year before, but you opened the season 2002 at Penn State in front of 100,000 people, and you have a huge game. You have 153 yards, and it seems like you and Schneider are really on the same page going into that season. Feel a good connection with him there? Oh, it was, and I just felt like everything it seemed like was working. The offense was playing, the defense, special teams. We all was just performing, and the only thing that got everybody was we can be standing maybe two inches apart, and you still won't hear. It was that loud, <laughs> and it was just it was just the fact that you know you get you never get an opportunity like this. So we need to take this opportunity. We was on TV. You know, our family back home can see us play, and it, it was it was exciting. It was exciting, and we all were just clicking. Me, me, Snyder, and Jimmy, we was all on on the same page. And then we had Cape and Luke that came about, so it was great. Hey, the offense really got rolling there at, at the end of that year. You had huge performances. Like at, the, at Syracuse that year, you put up 206 yards. You had a rushing touchdown. Against Liberty, another 140 yards, two touchdowns. Western Michigan, 100 yards and touchdown. And then the last game of that year against Ohio, 
You have seven catches, 179 yards, and four touchdowns in one game. That's Al Bundy style. What do you remember about that last game? <laughs> uh, that, and to be honest with you, that last game, I felt like everything worked. Like, if they called my number, it was like everything worked at the time. Like, it was, it was like, man, you know, I'm having a great game, and, you know, this is what I wanted to do and perform in front of my family, friends, and help my team out, that was great because it's like every call, even the screenplay to the double move play to the post route, yeah, it was all working. It was all working. I remember that like, and to be honest with you, um, I show my kids now for my program, I show them all the time. They always saying, well, Coach, you never, you don't play. You never play. I was like, well, you know. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at some film. You show me your film and I show you my, you know, my VHS. You had a lot of long touchdowns. I, your average, I think you averaged like 28 yards per catch your first year. At, you're right at the top in UCF history for long t- touchdowns. The, um, were a lot of those bombs or were those a lot of screen, those bubble no, screens that Kuzak used that, to run? The bubble screens, um, some was, I know uh, a few my first and second year, like I caught a couple of slants and hitches. That like Arizona State, I remember me catching a five-yard hitch and taking like eighty-two or something like that. So it was, it was just, you know, we was always told put the put the ball in your playmaker's hand and let him make plays. And that's what I tried to do. Well, Doug, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Coach Beckton. He was your position coach, but he is also a guy at UCF who once scored four touchdowns in a game. Were you uh, were you able to talk a little trash to him afterwards and, and let him know that you also scored four after that game as well? Um, I, I did because I I looked up to Coach Beck and I felt like you know he was he was you know from him and Sean Jefferson was the elite receivers at UCF. So it was like we was always trying to to catch him every time because as a coach and as a player he was always he still was competitive and when it came down to showing us how to run routes showing us how to make decisions read defense he would get in there and you know strap them on and get get down with us and that's where i get my whole thing of want to try to help my kids out. i mean i don't do the, the whole strapping on cleats or anything anymore so <laughs> Well, look, I mean, UCF fans now are, are used to the, the high-flying offense and everything, but people forget about that 0-2 team. You had t- over 200 yards and, and 11 TDs. Jimmy Frizzell had 1,000 yards, five touchdowns. Schneider threw for 3,700 yards, 31 TDs. And, oh, by the way, Alex Haynes was a 1,000-yard rusher that year as well. How fun was it to play on that offense that 2002 season with all those guys? You know, it was. I think it was, more, it was so fun because you never knew who was going to be that guy that game. So, whoever had the hot hands, that's who Cruz always went with. How would so you? If I had the hot hands, if I had the hot hands, he was with me. If Jimmy had the hot hands, that was him. If you know, like we also had uh, Thad Ward came in. You know, we had we had a we had a, a great receiving core. So and then we had a nice running game. You know, so with like. Uh, with uh, Alex and Terrence, we had a great running game. So it was fun. It was fun. It was exciting to be a part of that offense because every time at practice, we gave our defense hell. 
How would you describe, uh, we've had a chance to have Coach Kruzek on the show a couple times. He, he's certainly mellowed out now, but uh, he, he definitely looked kind of fiery back in the day. How would you describe Coach Kruzek's coaching style? Oh, it was, it was, it was aggressive. It was aggressive, but it was also, it was also fun. You know, it was like, he, he always, it seemed like he had a new plate every week. He had something always drawn up. He always had something ready to go every week. So I was real excited about just getting the opportunity to play with somebody who had an office of mind like he had, you know, because it helped. It helped me, and it helped many more, you know, transition to the next level. You didn't get the chance to play in this new stadium that we've had on campus now that opened in 2007. What do you remember about playing in the Citrus Bowl? What were some of the best things and some of the worst things that went along with playing out there? Um, the best things, your family. You get to see you play, and it was your home, your home field. Just to play there when I was in high school, when I played at Dr. Fields when we played Jones, and then getting the opportunity to play there in college was great. The worst thing was <laughs> we would sell almost 30,000 tickets, but it was college kids and over, you know, 40% of them wouldn't make it inside because they was already drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that was us. By yeah, the way. <laughs> guilty. I apologize, Doug. Many games, well, we made yeah, it. Uh, it was like mid-second quarter by the time we made it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the. See, that was like you know, I didn't mind. It was just like, man, come, you know, come to the game, come to see us perform. You know, because I, I love entertaining. You know, at the end of the day, yes, we playing the sport and stuff like that, but it's also we still are entertainers. Right. You know, if they sold beer inside, the, well, I guess they did. But we were st- when you were under twenty one, then you had to you had to drink outside before you could go in. It but- was cheaper to do it the way you guys did it. <laughs> <laughs> it was cheaper. That's what- <laughs> we made it in there though. We were always good in there. Uh, where do you put your Where do you put yourself among the greatest wide receivers in UCF history? You're you're up there in a lot of stats. Oh, so you, um, you put yourself as the best. You know what? In my mind, in my mind, yes, yeah. But like you know, at the end of the day, like I look at a lot of lot of receivers that came through, uh, from Sean Sean Beckton, um, Sean Jefferson. Uh, you look at Mike Sims Walker. You look at Brandon. Even though Brandon and Mike both play defense, Mike played more receiver than Brandon. Um, you had Gabe Davis that came. So you had a, you know, you know you had Perriman. So you had a lot of great receivers. And each one of us was coached by Coach Beck. <laughs> that's that's crazy. But yeah. I said you had uh, you had Cy Burley too. I'm not gonna forget about Cy. You know, and we had Cy Burley also. So, but I I would think I'm, yeah, I think I'm top. I'm gonna say top five. Yeah, you're in the in top mind, five. Top one. Top, one. <laughs> <laughs> top five for touchdowns scored with twenty, and that's only playing two seasons. A lot of these guys with three, four seasons, and you're right up there in, in touchdowns. And the one season alone for 2002, it's hard to, to top that one with your yardage. Yeah, see, and that's the thing. And Gabe David just broke that, what, last year? Yep. And I still sit and try to figure out what would, what would it take for me to, you know, because I'm still waiting on my call. 
I'm waiting on my call. I need to get inducted. I did a lot of work there. I helped <laughs> build that stadium on campus. I wish I'd have played in that stadium. It's just the fact that I don't, you know, we don't know what they they golf on no more. And I know, like the last two years, they kind of didn't do a inductee and stuff like that. So I don't know. Like I don't hold, I don't hold anything. I still, you know, support them and stuff like that. But like I said, this year I, you know, I made a joke about saying I took a gap year. But you know, yeah. Let's let's yeah. Let's, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Too. Yeah, you uh, you you had some comments recently. Um, obviously, with with Hypo leaving, um, you said you felt exiled. You and some other former players felt exiled. What uh, what specifically made you guys feel that way? Um, it just the fact that it seemed like we wasn't we wasn't welcome. You know, it's like we wasn't welcome. You know, we we were trying to, you know give 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 back things we've learned and just be a part of the program and it seemed like they went in a way total different direction than than anything and you know like i said say i can't knock anything because i'm not i wasn't in his shoes and he was doing what he felt was best for his program but when it came down to the program program itself you know i have yet to find a program where they go away from the alumni, like UCF did. So would would you guys that like? That was one of that was kind of hurtful. Would you guys like show up around practice and, and games and stuff, and and kind of just feel like you weren't welcome there, or was it something where you guys weren't even invited oh, to, to show I mean, up? It was many a time to where, you know, we had guys like I got calls about, hey, do you got tickets? I was like, wow, what's going on? Well, they try to talk to somebody and try to get tickets, and these guys were still playing also. And they wouldn't even let them either purchase tickets or anything, you know. And you'll have guys was on the sideline that you're trying to figure out who they were. And they was friends of friends. And we're trying to figure out how do they get sideline prizes. But you got guys who played in the NFL and who helped build this program couldn't even get on the sideline. Not even that. Couldn't even go speak to the kids when, when you had the opportunity to. You couldn't go in like the locker room, but then when you turn or you talk to like teammates from the NFL days, all they do is talk about their program, how the program send them, you know, shirts and stuff and, you know, stuff like that. Just, you know, it just, they just went away from all that stuff. I don't know what happened, but, you know, it didn't sit right with me or other guys. You know, that's why I say if they, whoever they bring in and which, when we're praying to hope, they bring in the right person. You know, we're not asked for anything. Like, I don't ask for handouts. We just ask to be a part of, you know, something we help build. You know, you, you know, it's it's kind of hard when a kid go off to go off to school and then all of a sudden he can't come back home. That's how the feeling was. What was your obviously you 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 played a lot of football. What, what was your assessment overall of of, of Josh Heupel as a coach? Um, as a coach. I, I really didn't get I really didn't get in depth on how he was as a coach, but for me as a receiver and wanted to, you know, work on my craft, owning all my skills and stuff like that, I don't know if I would have went to UCF at during this time because, you know, you see everything about they all they want to do is run a go route or a hitch route or bubble screen. You know, what happened to 
the decide routes or the curl routes or the dig routes or the choice routes, like stuff like that, you you really didn't see. You know, it was, but that's the way he set things up. But when you watch the game and being a former player, you see you see it happening. Like it's the same. It seemed like it's the same thing over and over. You know, and as a receiver, you're like, well, we don't get to run them routes, and now you get an opportunity to go to the next level. Now I have to retrain myself to learn how to run these routes because we haven't done them in the three to four years I was in college. See, I didn't have that problem with uh, Cruzat. They didn't have, you know, and they didn't have that problem like the first two years with Hypo. It just they just went away from what was working, and he, it was his system, his offense. So he wanted to put it all in. So, I mean, each his own. Where do you think UCF should go next for their head coach? There's a lot of rumors circulating. Gene Chizik, who was the defensive coordinator while you were there, his name is out there, and you got some. Younger guys like Jeff Levy, you as a fan now. Jeff Levy, yes. I get. I've, I've got a whole lot about Jeff, and then I just got recent information on Chiz, and I just think them are great. Them are you know great candidates, and you know Gene Chizik will be somebody that will come and build something, and I don't think he'll take off and leave. You know, and Jeff, I just think he's. He's got great ties with UCF, and I think he will bring some that's some stability also. So I think they will both be some stability. I just feel like you know, let's get let's get some of the coaches in that wants to be here, not for two or three seasons. Get somebody who wants to be there and wants to build build their own legacy. You know, I said it before. You know, I'm the type of person I want to build my own legacy. I don't want to go to somebody else and I'm trying to catch somebody else's legacy. I want to build my own. The players have been very outspoken about bringing Levy in. You as a player, would you have loved to pick your own coach? And you, would you play harder for a guy that you're, you're lobbying to bring in? Or once a guy's there, it doesn't matter. He's, he's the head man, and you got to do what he says anyway. I'm, yeah, well, as a player, if, if they're lobbying for a certain coach, I think it's just because they're com- they are comfortable and they know that that coach. So... I think they're they'll probably fight hard for him because it they're putting their name on the line for that guy also. So I think they will will go out and give it the all you know, each and every day if if they lobbying for a guy like him and I hear Gene Coach Chiz and stuff like that. Like I would like to see either one of them, but I will most likely to see Coach Beck come back home. <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you, yeah, yeah, right. you know, so <laughs> that guy is. He's done a whole lot of work. He is UCF, you know, right. like his whole playing career, his whole coaching career was at UCF, you know. I just – I hated to see him go. I don't I do not do the red. <laughs> no, I'm not, you know, whatever. But, like, I'll support him. You know, they give me – you send me a black hat, I'll wear that. But I'm not going to do no red, you know. <laughs> Maybe a white, you know, a nice little white little collar shirt or something. I'll do that. But that red is too much for me. And Beckton's a guy, you know, if he comes back, this is it. He doesn't want to go anywhere else, right? If Beck come, I promise, if Beck come back, I will volunteer. <laughs> I will volunteer to be his assistant, and just want to learn from him, and just want to be there with him. You know, that's that's one person that 
you wouldn't mind being around because he's trying to make everyone's better. Everybody he's coaching made better, not just on the field but off the field. So I will, I will literally lobby to be like, hey, back you back. Can I be your assistant? I, you don't have to pay me none. Just give me, you know, pay me and you know, buy me some lunch. I'll, you know, I'll be there three or four days a week and come help you out, set up cones and stuff like that. I won't mind doing that. Doug, one of the things I thought was really cool was was after kind of the news broke, you, you saw a lot of the former players uh, who were on Twitter talking about they want to come back and give back to the program. Uh, Antoine Poe, Kareem Reed, uh, Josh Robinson, uh, Leger Duzable, Ryan Schneider, yourself. Um, you know, what uh, are, are you guys all still yeah, close? I Mike mean, Mike Walker. Mike Walker. It seems like just Mike a Mike Walker. A, a bunch of you guys. I talked to Gabe Davis. I talked talk to Gabe. He was talking. You know, he was. You know, he's here. He wants to come back, and you know, yeah, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. You know, Brandon mentioned a couple of things. So, I mean, we're real close because you got to think about it. When we was all basically at UCF, we didn't have anything but each other. So we was real close. We was very close. So I just think that 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 was a brotherhood for us. Like that was our fraternity. That was our fraternity. And do you feel like you guys haven't had a chance to, to be around each other these last couple of seasons? We haven't. <laughs> we haven't the last couple of seasons. Now, a couple of years ago, we used to have a good little shindig for spring. And, like, we'll, they had one or two games that they set up. That was like we all get to see each other. You know, we all got families. We all had careers and stuff like that. So it was great to sit and talk to each other. Now it's like, oh, well, maybe next year. You know, sending each other text messages or calling each other once once every two or three months or something like that. It just get you know you get lost in the shuffle, not knowing how, what was going on with your your buddies, your brothers. All right, well, you've Speaking been of the spring game. Hold on one second. Speaking of the spring game, we had this idea a couple of years ago to have. Remember those old school quarterback competitions? If we get, wouldn't it be cool to get some of these old quarterbacks back out there and do like a QB competition? You have Schneider against Dante against, uh, you know, Vic Penn and all those guys out there. And, and would you oh, participate? That would be nice. How about how about something for the receivers? Would, would you be able to maybe run some routes for them or do like a race with some of the old old guys or something like Woo! that? I don't know. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you, you got to, you got, you got to. You got to take me all the way up now, but I'm letting you know <laughs> that happened. I'm down for about a month. I'm, down, I'm out for about a month. But to be honest with you, like, that would be so much fun, though. Like, we even had to where we did softball. You know, we did a little softball every every spring. Golf tournament. We did a little golf thing, a golf outing. Like, all that stuff just went, like, went all out the window. Like, that's something like – I will, I will literally do that, and I will take whatever consequence I get when my body shut down or I'm in an ice tub for about two weeks. <laughs> you know, just just so I can walk around my house. I would, I would literally do that. But, I think you know, that would be so much fun because, for the fans. Yeah, that'd be a blast. It would, it would. Like, it would be so much fun. Then it would not only just for the fans. You know, you think about all the former guys, their family, to see them. You know, smiling again. Remember, we, most of us, football was our life. Football was our life. So to get us to, you know, get away from everything and 
be smiling for an hour or two, that is priceless. That's priceless. I gotta tell you though, I think I have Brandon Marshall. If you guys were running oh, the race today, Jesus. I think he's probably stayed in the best shape, right? You know what? I will probably pick him too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got that. He's got I'll that. Pick him too, he's got a gym down there. He's he's he on is. he's on IG all the time, flexing and stuff. Oh, he is flat. He's he's dieting and working out and yoga. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I told her, I told her he needs to send me one of them. One of them light, light, light mile workouts. I'm talking about real light, like feather light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doug, you've been you've been really generous with your time. But we end every interview around here. We ask a, a series of just kind of fun, random questions about music, movies, sports, food, whatever. So uh, we've got uh, we've got six hard hitting questions for you. So uh, here's my first one for you. Uh, I know you played professional football um, and you spent some time with the Oakland Raiders. So can you tell me how scary is the black hole really? Oh, it's very scary. You can ask any fan. Like I I was doing kickoff return and I looked up there and we was playing the Vikings and they had Randy Moss jersey. The punt goes up, I catch it, toss it and look back up. They shirts and jersey was tall off of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. Uh, what's the best football movie of all time? The best football movie of all time. I, I don't know. I would sit and say either Remember the Titans or yeah, Waterboy wasn't bad. <laughs> Wildcat. Remember Wildcat? Remember Wildcat? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 All right. So you're more of a comedy guy. That's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, that was. All right, how how, yeah. how weird is it for you to to turn on a UCF game and see a guy wearing number eleven with Gabriel on the back of his jersey and it's not you? Oh, I get I get that every day talking about you not DG eleven no more. It's another DG eleven. It's another D <laughs> Gabriel. Like, no, it's only me. That's it. I ain't trying to hear that. That's what you're not gonna do to me. You don't steal my joy. That's my joy. Have you had a chance to talk to Dylan? I told, him, I told him he can borrow it. Okay. I'll tell him he can borrow it for right now. Have you guys had a chance to talk about that yet? Is 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 that something you guys have had a conversation about? No, we never had a conversation about it. I mean, a lot of people always come to come to me about it because usually, if you notice, the last few years, you know, after was it Perryman left, every receiver who had eleven went to the NFL. Hmm. So we, we was trying to start a tradition, but, you know, we couldn't get Gabe Davis to get it. So. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? One superpower. What would it be? It could be to move things without with your eyes. Oh, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you getting help over there? You got a phone a friend over there? What's going on? Um, I don't know. That's that's a horror. Uh, the ability to heal. Well, that's a good one. Like Wolverine. We haven't heard that one. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. A little Wolverine action. Yeah, the ability to heal. Because woo, 
<laughs> All right, Doug. Uh, this uh, this upcoming Sunday, Super Bowl, we've got the Buccaneers and the Chiefs uh, in in Central Florida in uh, in Tampa. Uh, who do you got winning the game? Oh God, that that's a tough one. But I'm gonna say, listen, I like Patrick Mahomes, but the thing is, Tom, you know, playing with Tom and you know that leadership he brings, he got he got them guys. They bought, they all bought in. So you know, he he's a he's a leader. You know, he is a leader. So, I, I think they're going to win it. I think they're going to win it. And, Tom, I don't know, but I'm I'm saying it. I'm going to say it right now. I think if Tom win it, he's going to retire, and he's going to go out on top. Hmm. I think he's going to come back and win another three more, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could because, I mean, he's not getting touched. He, he's not getting touched at all. Yeah. That, you know, any quarterback would love – Whatever he's doing to the line, he must buy them all Rolexes or something. <laughs> all right, you've uh, you're in the NFL. You get to travel around different cities. What's your favorite city to visit? My favorite city to visit. Oh man, that's crazy. Um, that that's that's it. That's a that's a that's a tough one. Um, I just I think. When we went to when we went to Denver, went to Denver. It was pretty nice because it was, you know, you get to see a lot of different things. You know, you got to see a little country, and I, like, I love peace. You know, I love peace and quiet. I love, you know, a lot of land and stuff like that. So that's why I would say Denver. I mean, you got you got some of the great cities like the Chicago, the Phillies, and New York and stuff like that, and you, you like them, but it's just too fast paced. All right. That's that's a that's a good answer, Doug, and uh, and we appreciate you for uh, for giving it and and for taking some time to walk down memory lane with us with your UCF career and you know hopefully uh, hopefully that once this uh, pandemic thing settles down a new regime comes into UCF hopefully we'll get to see you and and all those guys back there I think it'd be a lot of fun to uh, to see you guys back out there together again but uh, thanks for all you've done to support UCF football and UCF Knights and uh, and hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up with you soon. Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel and I go two and six in one score games with my guys Adam and Mike on the sons of UCF charge on go night all right uh, you know uh, before we get to our game like we have a game you know we love our games around here we'll get to that in a, in a second here uh, but a couple things uh, you know Look, we one of the things that we took great pride in around here, Mike, is that you were able to corner um, our probably the two most powerful men in uh, the UCF sports landscape, our athletic director, Danny White, and our head football coach, Josh Heupel. You cornered them and actually got them to record personalized messages about the Sons of UCF, which is something you did not hear anywhere else. We were really proud of those sounds. And then all of a sudden, in the span of two weeks, those sounds became outdated. So... I tried calling both Josh and Danny back and just asking if they could update the sounds for us a little bit. Um, you know, if they had like one or two minutes to maybe just, you know, re-record something for us. Um, but I just couldn't get, you know, they wouldn't return my call. I couldn't get a hold. I couldn't find them. I kept, the phone kept ringing. Nobody answered. So uh, we had to kind of sort of, you know, uh, take some liberties ourselves and update the sounders, Mike. I don't know, uh, you know, what your thoughts are on, on the updated sounder. But, uh, you know, we tried to make sure that, you know, we... Uh, you know, we felt like we represented what uh, what they may have said if they uh, were able to come back with us. So I don't know how we did, but I feel like, you know, at least we tried to do as best we could. 
<laughs> I think we hit the nail on the head with those. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think they worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's the one thing that sucks now is we have to wait on who the new head coach is and the new athletic director and see if I'll even be able to get some more of those. Those things were great. That was the worst thing about them leaving is now we're back to square one with the sounds. But I think <laughs> I think the way the announcer girl filled in, it worked out perfectly. And everything she said was true. So, Yeah. Yeah, again, I, I was trying to get them on the horn. I just, you know, uh, they must have, I don't know if they changed their number or something. I don't really know what happened there. But, uh, yeah, weren't, we weren't able to connect with them. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, we'll, we'll have to play those for a little bit until we get until we get fresh ones. So we'll see how long we can handle those, Mike. Uh, like, you know, we, we, we love, you know, our games are always uh, really big uh, for us around here. We've, we've got a game we're going to play in a second. But uh, uh, you've, you've kind of gone rogue. You've gone ad hoc. And you've got your your own pregame to the actual game. This is this is groundbreaking Sons of UCF stuff right here. You've got a you've got a pregame. Um, I don't know what to expect here. I don't know what this is. Um, we haven't rehearsed this. I don't have a role in this. This is this is you doing what you do best. So uh, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting, uh, just like the audience is. Well, as with most of our games that we play, they're pretty much ripoffs of other things that we've heard before, yeah, <laughs> basically enough. from Levitard. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> we've still the, the observations thing there. Yeah. We've turned that into everything. One of the things I, I love that they do, which I've never been good at coming up with them, but I try to, I made my best attempt here is it looks like game. Okay. Yeah. So and so looks like this and that. And they're so detailed with the things they have. Uh, I try to come up with a few of them. We're talking about, we're focusing on coaches this week. So all my looks like have to do with coaches. Okay. Uh, I'll try a few out here and see what you think. I'm ready to go. You ready? I'm ready to go. All right. Does Scott Frost look like the guy who walks around the locker room telling the guys it's time for their weekly coronavirus test and tells them to pull his finger? (laughs) Huh. You know, I don't know. We didn't see a lot of Scotty's personality. I mean, I guess maybe I didn't. I, I never. I don't think of Scott as a as a jokester. I'm not saying he's not. Yeah. I just I just don't know enough about him to to know. Um, so un, unknown. It's very possible. It's very very possible. The players, the players seem to love him. Like I know. He's one of their buddies and stuff. He probably messed around with them. Maybe not on camera. We didn't see it. But uh, I I think he he's kind of got that in him. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying no. I'm this. not saying no. Try this one out. Maybe you like this one. Does Josh Heupel look like the guy who goes to one of those all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouses? Yes. And as soon as he sits down, he tells the waiter his card's always going to be on green. Then, when his wife flips her card to red, he immediately flips it back, looks deeply into her eyes, and says, tonight, we're going 2-0, baby. <laughs> you had me at steak all you can eat steakhouse <laughs> you could have stopped it there yeah that sounds about right that sounds about right as i feel like if i assume that's uh two two options with that with that commentary there i assume that's kind of a a sly uh hypo's go-to move uh but also um uh, a nod to the fact that he seemed like he didn't ever uh, didn't really uh shy away from too many meals so I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's a bit of a double entendre there that I really like. I could see hype with a little wink going, "Let's go to another night, baby," um, and that and that being kind of his uh, his go to. So I'm gonna I'm gonna co-sign that one. All right, good. This one was the most obvious one, I think. <laughs> Didn't take much to come up with this one. Does Coach Kruzek look like the guy who walks around the locker room asking people if they have tickets to the gun show this week, 
while flexing his biceps in their face. Yeah, for sure. That, that was yeah. <laughs> I feel like, you know, Cruz seemed like he was a little bit, uh, you know, although we did get him to flex live on the uh, uh, the 20th anniversary uh, Alabama show, uh, he strikes me as the kind of guy who wasn't necessarily always looking to looking to flex around. I could see hype or not hype, uh, Frost doing that maybe, but I think Cruz is probably the better the better choice there. All right, I think this is a good one. The Scott Frost look like the guy who has sex with your girlfriend, then says she was bound to do it eventually. Wouldn't you rather she did it with me than some dirtbag like Chenander? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, up until dirtbag like Chenander, I wasn't sure we were going there. That, that's what really sold that one, yeah. <laughs> that's, so good. yeah that's what sold it, yeah. yeah. I don't even know Chenander. I'm, I'm assuming he's a nice guy. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what sold it for me. Uh, all right, I only got one more. Does Josh Heupel look like the guy who has the ice cream truck theme song as his ringtone, then forgets about it, and every time his phone rings, he jumps out of his seat, grabs his $3.50 for his Ninja Turtle ice cream, and says, I really hope I get Donatello today. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I think that's probably true. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. That's probably fair. <laughs> Okay, I'm just trying to picture yeah, hypo with three dollars and fifty cents in his hand, but <laughs> I could see him getting excited for a Ninja Turtle ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's probably yeah. for sure. Well, this was this was the best un- one was the Frost one, right? Yeah, the Frost one was good, and it really is because of Chenander. It's <laughs> <laughs> really the only reason it was good. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the Frost. Well, this was a an unscheduled game, uh, and so uh, to, to great surprise, uh, it uh, it worked out well. All right. I'm gonna try my best. Like I told you, I wasn't great at those. When I listen to those things on Levitard, I always crack up. I always wanted to try them. So I, you know, I'd love to hear what some of you guys can come up with. Come up with what these guys actually look like, or just come up with whatever funny things you think and send it to us on Twitter or whatever. And maybe we'll we'll say the best ones on here. All right, we love our games around here. You guys know that. Each week we come up with some sort of a crazy game to play, and they're pretty much all the same game over and over again. This week's game, Mike, is a version of what we call most likely. Uh, so we're going to uh, basically fill in the blank, the most likely to blank, and uh, our subjects are former coaches. So we've uh, we've really decided to keep this, with due respect to Gene McDowell and his uh, his, his passing, uh, to keep him out of this uh, this nonsense game and really focus on the four coaches that have taken us through the, the D1 era. So that's Mike Kruzek, George O'Leary, Scott Frost, and now Josh Heupel. So four former head coaches. And uh, Mike and I are going to ask each other uh, each uh, a sentence, uh, and and we'll figure out who the most likely is to do the thing that we are referring to. I think it's pretty simple, Mike. I think that's a good setup. Uh, I've got a handful for you. I think you've got some on your side. So why don't you kick off with the first most likely? All right. Which coach is most likely to get in a bar fight? Scott Frost. You think Frost, huh? I think Frost, yeah. I I picked O'Leary for that. I think O'Leary has a couple Irish whiskeys in there. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. He's too lazy. Not lazy, but I think he's just like, he just has no time for that. You know what I mean? Well, maybe O'Leary now. He's a little older, but I'm talking about maybe 2004, 2005 O'Leary. You say the wrong thing to him. I don't think he's backing down from anybody. I mean, no, he's not backing down, but I feel like he's like, look, I'm not going to get up. No, slugger, you stay over. Like, I just feel like he's not. 
he's, it, you know, he's fighting you is beneath him and he's not going to stoop your level. I feel like you say something to Frost, you know, he's got a, a fat Kodiak dip in and, uh, you know, a couple of, a couple of butt heavies. <laughs> I feel like it's, we're throwing hands at that point for sure. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll agree with you. All right, here we go. Um, Mike, who's most likely to shop at Bed Bath & Beyond? Uh, Hypo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Uh, uh, and your reasoning being? Uh, he just seems like the guy that does whatever his wife tells him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay, honey. Yeah, I'm coming. Um, I don't think O'Leary's going to Bed Bath & Beyond, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, Cruz. I could see Cruz saying, I got too many weights to lay. I'm going to the gym, honey. You go to the, do the shopping. I'll be at the gym. We'll hang out afterwards. And... I think Frost is maybe a little too cool for that. So hypo by process of elimination, I think it's right. doing those kind of things on Saturday. I can't argue that. All right. Who's most likely to crop dust the locker room on his way to his office after practice? Hypo. <laughs> Thanks. I think it's hypo. Uh, I had that down as Cruz for some reason. Well, see, my my think Cruz and, and Frost probably eat healthy. Uh, so maybe get, they, they may have a lot of protein, but uh, yeah. I, I think I think they're probably healthy based on their on their lifestyle. O- O'Leary, I don't think I think O'Leary would just let it fly. I don't think he'd care about trying to be stealth about it. Um, I feel like I feel like Hypo would probably you know just <laughs> LRB did that or something and, and run into his office. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Hypo on that one too. <laughs> yeah, I had Cruz down because I figured, like you said, his diet. He probably eat a lot, of, drink a lot of protein shakes, uh, some kind of tuna and oatmeal mixed up concoction that he comes up with and he, he just head into his locker room let's one rip <laughs> well that's, you know what this actually dovetails into my next one for you so here we go who is most likely to ask to use the bathroom at a recruit's house <laughs> uh, yeah for some reason i'm saying hypo again <laughs> okay okay <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I have no real explanation for that one. Yeah, but uh, it feels like the right that, answer. Who'd you say? I I, I, I would have gone Hypo. I also would have gone G- uh, Gol. Okay. Yeah, you know he's older. Maybe his prostate's gonna <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What there are you, you gonna go. do? Prostate talk. <laughs> that, that's why you're here, folks. Prostate talk. <laughs> All right. While well, he's in the bathroom, who's most likely to piss on the toilet seat? I'm gonna go with Kruzak because his his arms are so big, his biceps that he may not be able to to fully get the reach he needs, uh, and so that may you know may have to you know sort of let it let it fly a little bit. So I'm gonna go Kruzak based on bicep size. <laughs> I went with Frost. He's <laughs> okay. more of like <laughs> like one of those bros. He doesn't care. He's just peeing. The seat's down. That's not his problem. He's gotta go. He's gotta go. All right. This one's probably very much not in the Me Too movement era, but. Who's most likely to call a waitress sugar lips? Frost. <laughs> wow. I uh, see. I thought there would have been GOL. Uh, sugar. <laughs> have you ever heard anybody call somebody sugar lips? I don't think so. <laughs> maybe just. <laughs> maybe earlier, just because that's a, a term that's back from like the forties or the fifties. Maybe I'd give you that one. Okay. But, but. Uh, Trying to like hit on the waitress or whatever, I get. I gotta give that to Frost. Okay, fair enough. All right, who is more likely to go to a nude beach? Uh, Frost. You think so? I think so. I put hypo. 
I think hype. Wow. I see. I'd have gone hype a last. I'd actually would have put O'Leary after Frost, <laughs> just because I don't think George would really care. But uh, yeah, I go. I go Frost. Well, that's the thing. Have you ever been to one of these nude beaches? Um, the people that are there, yeah, it's are fair. not the people you want to see naked. So on uh, on our honeymoon, we went to a little uh, sandals resort in Jamaica, and the adjoining property was a nudist resort, and there was nobody there that would have made you want to uh, continue to look in that direction. That that's for damn sure. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, Frost is probably the best looking of all the guys. You guys would say, "Well, Cruzex is a nice looking guy too." But, <laughs> <laughs> you're arguing with yourself, by the way. Just so you know, you're arguing with yourself. With yourself on that one. Most out of shape guy got to be hypo, I guess. So that's why I figured that one. Right, let's go a little bit on the field here, Mike. Who is most likely to run a fake punt? Ooh, you know what? I'm going to surprise you on this one because he's done it before, and you don't think of him as being trick play guy, but O'Leary. Mm. O'Leary did it a few times. Yeah. And you're going to ask me to bring up uh, examples. I don't have many, but I know there was a game against Houston, I think, in 2005. He did it right before halftime. He did it a few times. Well, Larry actually, I think, had more of the halfback pass plays or, or a wide receiver pass plays. He, he, he did end up using those. We don't think of him as a trickster, but he pulled them out when he needed to. I see. I thought, yeah, I, I didn't. Th- so I thought you would say Frost, and that, that's actually not who I, I actually would even go on Hypo because I feel like Hypo, although he never actually used one, I feel like his fourth and one kind of go bone play it was a small extension of that. So, um, but uh, I, I, I had I had GOL two on my list. I don't know why. I feel like he did the same, but I can't tell you when. All right. All right. Who's more likely to cheat on their taxes? <laughs> <laughs> this is just a tailor-made go with O'Leary, right? Because of the resume thing. <laughs> that's, that's really what we're doing here. Um, yeah, so, much. I mean, based on the evidence in front of me, counselor, I'd have to probably go O'Leary, <laughs> but it would not be his fault. It would be more of an accounting error. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize I was doing this. So. Yeah, I didn't know I couldn't uh, couldn't amortize that. <laughs> you know, whatever his excuse might be. <laughs> All right, who's most likely to fire up a cigar after a big win? Oh. I see Cruz as a cigar guy for some reason. Huh. He's, a, yeah, he's a cool guy. He's got the sunglasses on, he, uh, the visor. I, I don't know. I could see him just sitting back with a, a big uh, Cuban. Okay. Who do you got? I can see that. Yeah, you know what? Cruz makes sense. I didn't I didn't really have an answer on this one. I was going to leave it over to you. I, I guess Cruz would be – you could talk me to Cruz, right, because he's more laid back, mellow, you know. Again, we, we know Frost has already got the Copenhagen in there. He's probably not going for cigar. Hypo probably can't figure out how to cut the damn thing to light it. Um, I feel like George is just like, well, is, is that bourbon? No, never mind. I'm all set. Uh, so I feel like Cruz probably by by process elimination is your guy. <laughs> all right. Um, who is more likely to win a game of Jeopardy? Give uh, Give me uh, O'Leary again. Give me O'Leary again. I, I yeah, don't. That I, was the one I actually yeah. didn't have an answer for. O'Leary or Kruzek was where I was going. I don't want to use the phrase "meathead" when I refer to Scott Frost, but uh, and I don't. I just don't think Heupel's. You know, he he would, you know, just cliche the hell out of that. So um, give me O'Leary. I just give me that old man knowledge. Yeah, I think he may be onto something there. Old man knowledge. Uh, who is most likely to take up two parking spots? <laughs> Frost. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Frost probably has the flashiest car of all of them. 
he's one of these guys and you know, nobody's getting within five feet of my car. I, I could see him doing that. Okay. Who's more likely to run for political office? <laughs> I mean, Heupel is probably my choice just because he doesn't ever say anything. Um, and most politicians are probably do nothing, which is kind of his um, somewhat of his MO. So let me go hype on that one. You know, vote yeah, for Josh Hypo. We're gonna for a vote. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do great <laughs> things out there. We're gonna go one and zero on the streets. I mean, he's just not gonna. He's gonna say a lot. He's gonna be very political in his answers, uh, and and probably not get much accomplished. Um, so, and he'll be a one a one term representative. So let me go. Let me go Hypo. I can see the reasoning, yeah, but I, I actually went with Cruz. I don't know. He just has the more distinguished look. Maybe looks like he could be a governor of some state somewhere. You know, he, we've seen him on the. The Sons of UCF live show when we did the 20th anniversary show. And he's got his glasses on now. He just looks like he... I'd vote for him. What the heck? All right, back on the field for this one, Mike. Who is most likely to call the perfect play if one touchdown is needed? Who? Yeah. I probably got to say Frost. Yeah, yeah I went Frost, or, Frost or Cruz are my options there. Yeah, well, Cruz can draw him up too. Cruz, uh, the opening drive, he was the best. So maybe if it came down to one play, he could he could do it too. But it just I don't know. You threw the word perfect in there. The, the association of perfect goes back to the perfect season and Frost, and that's probably which where my brain went first. All right, fair enough. All right, who's more likely to be a bad tipper? Oh, Larry. <laughs> it's because he's old. Yeah, I feel like he's just one of those guys, you know, honest work, honest day's work, honest day's pay, you know, there's plenty more where that came from kind of guy. He also strikes me as the guy who probably like takes the quarter behind the waitress's ear and goes, there's plenty more where that came from. <laughs> he strikes me as that guy. <laughs> I can see it. I can see him actually leaving tip, you know, judging each performance. You know, maybe you get 17% or this guy only earned 13%. I can see it. I wrote down Hypo for some reason. Like, I could be talking too early. <laughs> no, Hypo's a good one, too. All right, I don't know. We got time maybe for uh, for one more each. Here's my last one for you. Ready? Who is most likely to be considered the best coach in UCF history? Ooh, I guess it's got to be O'Leary. Because Frost, for that one season, he, only, he was only here for two. You're talking about history. O'Leary did a lot. He, he won a New Year's Six game, too. And he, he was here. He... He got us the stadium built. He did a lot of things here for a long time, so I guess I gotta go with O'Leary for that. Well, fair enough. You got you got one more. Yeah, which guy is most likely to listen to our podcast on a regular basis? Kruzak. I say Kruzak. Yeah, I think Kruzak. I think George probably struggles with the technology thing, so he's gonna need somebody to tell him how to get the show on. Um, Frost. I mean, Frost doesn't even. You know, Frost has no time for us. He's he's got a sinking ship over there in Nebraska. Uh, Heupel, uh After he hears what I did to his, his Josh Heupel sounder, maybe he'll listen more. But I, I doubt it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Cruz. I actually went O'Leary. He's retired now. He's sitting around. Our friend Brandon Helwig told us that he's actually a member of the dungeon, and you can see that he's in there. He doesn't ever post anything, but he he's in there reading, seeing what's going on. I have a little sneaking suspicion. Maybe he does pop us on every once in a while. He knows about the show, obviously. He's been on it twice. So he must see some of these interviews that we do with some of his former players, and he wants to hear from some of them. Uh, I'll say George listens a little bit. 
All right, well, Coach, I apologize for everything I just said <laughs> from the beginning of this segment that if I had known you were listening, I would have picked high school for all those. But uh, that is our uh, most likely to. It's always a fun time. And, uh, uh, you know, if there's anything that we do well around here, it's we do games well. Coming up next, the modified cow of the week uh, with a twist. Don't move. Coming right back. I'm Jeff Allen. Join me each week for unique yet common sense opinions on sports on the Jeff Allen Sports Talk Podcast. We will break down the sports world minus the hot takes with prominent guests and my stable of sports guys. It's sports conversation the way it should be. Search Jeff Allen Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts or go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. This is former UCF Athletic Director Danny White. And if you don't want to be the cow of the week, you need to leave behind $6 million in buyout money on your way out of town. Charge on. Go Knights. All right. Uh, Mike, what would you think of the new cow of the week sounder? Uh, again, I couldn't get a hold of Danny White, so I, I had to improvise uh, and, and just kind of assume what he might say if he was recutting the sound today. What did you think? I loved it. I think it's exactly what he would have said. And that's a girl nailed it again. And Danny did a, a big favor. Everybody is, is referred to it now. We've talked about it on the show. Him getting us that $6 million buyout was, was huge for the program, especially in the year following the COVID. So uh, I think it's perfect. If you don't want to be the cow of the week, at least make sure you're leaving a bunch of money behind. Well, that is the way to do it, Mike. Uh, quickly, I'm not going to pick this for cow of the week because it just doesn't feel right. But uh, pictures on the internet today of Mackenzie Milton wearing a Florida State uniform um i'm not gonna lie to you i was a bit nauseated for a few minutes there gross it was gross yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not sitting well with me yet and if i didn't have to watch him do the tomahawk chop once the season starts it's gonna be even worse uh, i saw bam moore in there in the florida state picture in the uniforms with him uh man it's like seeing your ex-girlfriend go off with some other guy that you don't like you know, if, if she goes off with somebody that you don't care about, if he would have gone to Hawaii, he would have gone to UCLA or something, whatever. I, I could have rooted for him. But now he's here in our face in Florida, Florida State. The only thing worse, I think, would have been Miami or Florida. So uh, I guess we're going to have to deal with it it's just for one season. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was pretty gross. Again, I won't pick it as Cal because I know we're all rooting for McKenzie to, uh, to stay healthy and to play well. Um, I just, uh, I'd be really curious if he got a do over with, with, if he knew Hypo was leaving, if that would change his mind, probably not, <laughs> but you just, I'd love to find out like if he knew that was going down. Uh, cause we, we know he was, was close with, with Jeff Levy. That was one of the only people he was following on Twitter for a while. Um, so much so that there was speculation he might go to Old Miss because Levy was there. Um, obviously Dylan Gabriel probably wasn't going anywhere, but you just, you wonder if we could do that one over uh, uh, and it happened a little sooner uh, if McKenzie's mind would have been changed. So I think Coach would come in and have a quarterback controversy right away. <laughs> McKenzie or Dylan Gabriel. That would have been interesting. Huh? That would have been interesting, but uh, I guess I guess that's not how these things work in life, Mike. That's not, that's not in the cards. What is in the cards, though, are cows. Uh, obviously, we pick something each week that uh, we thought was funny or annoying or anything in between, Mike. Um, and you are the leadoff batter as always. Who's your cow of the week? Well, I kind of joked about it last week when you left us, Danny White, for being cow of the week, and I took it back. 
And then he just did the sounder for us where he left us all that money, so he can't be the cow of the week. But guess what? He is the cow of the week. There he is. Week. <laughs> Danny White for, let's see how many things we can pick out for. Hiring a search firm to find a head coach and then hiring Josh Heupel as his head coach where obviously he didn't need a search firm for that. For saying that Heupel is the only guy he interviewed, the only guy he offered the job to in his press conference. For saying that he really didn't want to take him away from UCF to, to hurt us anymore. And obviously all lies. And is this the best coach you could come up with? If he knew he was going there, shouldn't he have known which kind of coaches he could have brought in and, and not have to rely on going back to Josh Heupel? I think that was a big mistake on his part. And then what's this whole controversy coming out now saying that there were leaks uh, and the Josh Heupel thing and, and Rory got out when it wasn't supposed to. And I haven't followed it as closely as maybe I should have. What was the deal with the leaks going on over there? Yeah, so uh, he uh, he said in his press conference that only one other time in his uh, in his career um, has a, a, a coaching search had a leak, um, and uh, said he essentially was going to get to the bottom of this one and figure it out because obviously you know how Danny was he was here he he prides himself on uh, on keeping things very close to the vest so he kind of made like a lighthearted joke but I think he was more passive aggressive in the joke and essentially saying that somebody leaked something and he was going to figure it out and then there was a report that. He actually was going to launch an investigation on it because he was mad about it. Then he released a tweet saying that he doesn't have time for that kind of thing, doesn't have time for an investigation. So uh, who knows? But he's clearly uh, disappointed that uh, that his information got leaked out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's not getting a lot of good reviews in his first week there on the job in Tennessee. They're not impressed with his coaching hire, as they probably shouldn't be because we all know <laughs> Like we said, we've been talking here for months. Maybe Hypo was on his way out here anyway. And now he find, kind of failed his way up the ladder into an SEC job. And who knows? Maybe Danny's having a little buyer's remorse. And maybe he's kind of wishing he stuck around a little bit. Who knows? But he's the cow of the week anyway. For the last time, probably we're going to talk about Danny White. Unless he does something else to us. <laughs> uh, well, what else is left? I mean, what what else is left here? You got any ideas? What what else are we facing yeah, he's here? Take Dawkins or something with him, or I don't know. What else can he do? Not, talk trash. Oh, I know what he can do. Renounce the national championship claim and say, eh, you know, uh, now that he's in the SEC, say no, they didn't win a national championship. Nah. Maybe, I don't think he'd ever do that. You know, the worst thing he could do actually well, probably take Coach Abe. Yeah, there you go. You know, obviously Tennessee women's basketball is like historically uh, fantastic. Uh, Pat Summit was there for a long time, won like several hundreds of national championships, probably like that. And uh, since she's been away from the program, um, and I think she passed away too. So um, since uh, she hasn't been around, it's clearly not been the same anymore. And I'm assuming that that's a big brand that Danny would want to build back up. So. Coach Abe could be is that is that the strike? If he takes Nugget too, by the way, if Coach <laughs> Abe and or Nugget go, I mean, then we we got we got problems. We got fighting words. This is not going to be a popular opinion here. He could have Nugget. Oh, <laughs> oh, what happened? He could take Nugget with you on the way out. Oh man, but Coach Abe can have our blue uniforms with him too. Coach Abe has to stay though, right? Yeah. If I had to pick between Abe, Nugget, and the Canaveral blue uniforms, Abe, all the way. What's what's second on that list? Uh, I guess I'd take the uh, a hint of Canaveral blue. 
<laughs> you know, the, <laughs> Tennessee wears some form of a blue. I think the Tennessee, the the Lady Volunteers, I think the women's team wears some form of a blue. They have their mem- their uniform on my head correctly. Yeah, watch them. <laughs> so I don't know how that'd go over with a school like Tennessee. They put 100,000 people in their stadium, and they're all wearing the same exact color all the time. I don't know if they'd uh, react so well. I could see why I worked here at UCF. We're trying to build something different. But a school with tradition like that, I don't know if you can mess around too much. Yeah, Danny said that he wants, he's a builder. He sees himself as a builder. That's not a build job. That's a fixed job. Um, and yeah, I don't know how, how kindly they'll take to some of those uh, some of those tweaks that he wants to do. You know, he was talking about we want to pack the stadium, and people on Twitter were like, bro, we pack the stadium every week. Like, what we want to do is win. Um, so Danny's probably going to have to recalibrate himself just a little bit on that one. Just a, just a tad. Um, I'm going to stay in that same sort of line, Mike, and I'm going to um, give my cow of the week to our former coach, uh, Mr. Joshua Kenneth Heupel. Um, and, uh, and here's why, Mike. We talked on this earlier, but uh, as you know, very similar to what we dealt with with Scott Frost, uh, Heupel has taken a lot of his staff with him, right? He's taken pretty much every offensive coach the only coach we're not sure about right now is Cody Burns, who I don't even know if he physically coached a day at UCF. I don't, I don't, did he even move into his locker? I don't even really know where that stands. That'd be a fascinating story. And so since, since Josh Heupel took all of his coaches, uh, I'm going to make him cow of the week, but not because of that, Mike, he can't take Nick Toth with him. <laughs> There's no room for Toth. We, we got to keep Toth here. I don't understand. Why can't, why couldn't he go with him? Like he's not on the defense. He's not on the offense. He's just a special, just take Toth with him. Why, why didn't we take Toth? We took everybody else on the offense and there, you're telling me there's no room for a special teams coordinator. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I didn't know where you were going there for a while, Yeah, but I like where you ended up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Toth's got to go. No room, there was no room. That the plane was was full. They couldn't just sneak him into baggage. There was no, wasn't a seat. He couldn't sit up with the pilots. There was no room for Toth on that plane. I find that hard to believe. Uh, I wonder what his contract situation looks like. Are we gonna have to end up paying him something? Uh, <laughs> Either way, he's gonna be gone. But if we owe him money now because Hypo didn't take him, then that sucks. And to be fair, he may be gone now. I have no idea. Again, we have no idea what's going on inside the building. Uh, Randy Shannon obviously is not one to uh, to be at a press conference, so we're not hearing much from him. Um, you know, there's no athletic director to really have any press conferences. Plus, there's really nothing going on, right? I guess signing day would be the the next time we hear from from Randy. Signing day coming up, I think on Wednesday. I think it's the third, so that would be a time where a coach would come out and address people who claim to be media. So we'll see if that actually happens. If Randy actually trots himself out there, and maybe somebody, uh, I don't I don't think Trace is involved in those, but maybe. You know, Matt Mirschel, if you're listening, uh, you know, can it, can we get somebody just say hey, really quickly before we let you go, Randy? Does Nick Tolt still work here? And just to, just to see what happens. <laughs> well, I think we're all gonna get our wish here in a couple weeks anyway. So uh, you hate to see people lose their jobs or whatever, and, and talking about people getting fired. But yes, that's true. Yeah, it that, is what it is. That's very nice of you to say that. Yes, but uh, our special teams have got to improve. Yes. It can't get worse. It, it could. I, we asked earlier who was most likely to run a fake punt. The answer is not Nick Toth. It's really probably <laughs> he wasn't an option in that quiz game, Mike, but he probably should have been for crying out loud. Nick Toth. Can't go to Tennessee. Yeah, I think we did some good work here today. Oh, I good. Got, uh, All right. I'm, most I'm, likely game. That was new. Uh, good, nice little interview with Doug Gabriel. We haven't heard from him in a long time. Yeah, I'm glad you One feel good about it. Yeah. What did you make of his comments about um, – 
uh, about not feeling welcome and some of the other guys not feeling like that they, they were welcome. To be fair to Hypo, which I'm not necessarily um, uh, going to be inclined to do all the time, but it was a pandemic this year. So obviously a lot of things were, were probably different on who could be around the program and whatnot. So there may be some stuff with that. Uh, but what did you make of his comments uh, around uh, him and some of the other guys not really feeling welcome and, and uh, not feeling like they uh, were, um, uh, I guess, uh, given the opportunity to, uh, to, to be around the program and, and to, to kind of show their support when they wanted to. Yeah. It kind of stings to hear a little bit. Exactly. The year, this year, I mean, nobody could be around the program. So uh, if he's talking about this year, then I don't know what he's talking about, but in the years before, if that's the case, then that, that's sad to hear. And uh, it's gotta be a direct command from Heupel to say that they don't want those guys around because Manny's still around and Manny's always been the guy in charge of the Letterman club or whatever it's called. And he's always kept in touch with the ex players. And if something has changed and it's directly related to Heupel, that's under his command. So yeah, hopefully that gets cleared up. Uh, well, Larry always did a good job of bringing those guys back. And remember seeing, like Brandon Marshall was on the sideline during the Fiesta Bowl. And I think guys were always welcome to come back at all times. So hopefully that gets fixed with the new guy. Yeah. I mean, we'll say it's hard. It's always an awkward spot, I'm sure, right? Is, you know, trying to integrate um, different eras of the program. It was funny in Hypel's Tennessee news conference, somebody asked him that same question. He was like, if you played for Tennessee, I want you back around. I want you here. I, I want you. You know, be around the guys. I can't wait to see you. And then, literally, like two days later, is, is when uh, when Doug initially kind of made the comments about feeling exiled. I will say this, Mike. It was interesting. You know, um, a lot of guys, uh, the former players on 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 social media that that next day or two, a lot of them were back out there saying, "Hey, let's get out and help those guys. What can we do? I'm in. Are you in?" Um, and and I feel like I didn't I didn't really see that very much. Um, prior to, you, I, I said you didn't see a lot of those guys necessarily talking about UCF and doing some of that stuff, and not that they didn't care or anything, but it, now that you think about it, the, there definitely was a bit of an absence of some of that conversation, and it makes you wonder: was is that why? Right? Is that part of the reason why? Is because you know they they either directly or indirectly felt like um, you know the they they didn't have a, a spot in and around the program anymore, and if that's the case, that sucks because you know you know Doug said it, but these guys build the foundation for the school. Um, so it would suck if that was a, a directive of Hypo to say, I don't want these guys around. Now, again, there's two sides of every story. What the hell do I know? But it would suck if that was a directive um, to uh, to kind of ostracize some of those guys. And it's some, coming from some guys that you really haven't heard in the last couple of years. Josh Robinson. Mm-hmm. I haven't really heard him come out and say anything lately until now. And Doug Gabriel has been quiet up until now. So, And these are guys that are in the NFL. You're talking, I realize you can't have – how many guys are every year is what 50 guys that leave or whatever it is, 30 guys. So you add that up over the last 10 years, there's hundreds of thousands of ex guys that have played here at UCF, but you're talking about the guys that were in the NFL, the guys that have made the name for this program. They got to be welcome back at all times. And even the guys that didn't, they still got to be welcome. You can't have everybody on the sideline every week, but if they want to come by and watch a practice or come by and check things out, they should be able to do that too. Whenever they yeah. Well, like, I mean, that's turning the page, right? Like I said, it's just one of those things that, that came out after the, after all the news and you, you kind of sit back and you go, Oh man, that's, that, that's kind of, that's kind of a bummer. Um, 
and and hopefully with whatever the new page is, whoever whoever's you know on uh, in charge of writing that page, you know that'll be that'll be written. Uh, hopefully, the new athletic director will help support that. Whoever that person happens to be, as well, because obviously there's some top down stuff there. I mean, you know, we talked about Doug talked about some of the fun events they used to have. Obviously, some of that stuff is university sponsored, so you know, hopefully they'll find ways to to keep that some of that stuff going. And because yeah, that I mean, I don't know, maybe you and I are just kind of weird, you know, geeky UCF fanboys. But if you're telling me that there's like an alumni softball game and they're selling tickets and it's a weekend that I can go. Like I, I would check that out for sure. Right. I would, I would absolutely go and watch that and see the guys goof around and get a chance to maybe get some autographs, shake some hands or whatever, fist pump, whatever we're doing in that, in that time. Like maybe I'm just a, you know, a, a, a UCF geek in that respect, but I would absolutely sign up for something like that. All right. And now that we get a new AD in here, let's pitch him our idea. The quarterback challenge, the, the skill challenge, these guys want to do it. And you heard from one of them today. Doug Gabriel would definitely get in on something like that. He doesn't even care if he's going to be in pain for the next month afterwards. And that would be awesome, not just for the players, but for the fans. I'd love to see a quarterback challenge with Dante and Schneider and Moffitt and Israel and all the expert Godfrey just throwing it around, having fun. Godfrey probably wouldn't show up, but yeah, Godfrey would not be able to make it. Um, <laughs> Blake Bortles, I mean, you get Blake out there. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Israel, I mean, Kyle's still floating around in Orlando. Um, we have the Israel versus Schneider race that we set up here on this show. We do, yeah. One on one. Yeah. You see the slowest quarterback in UCF history. Bring back Brett Hodges, the one year wonder, see what he's got. I mean, you could you could dust off a lot. Brian Miller, I mean, I don't even know where Brian Miller's at these days, but Doug said he had a cane and who can throw the farthest still, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd watch that. Dante had a had a rocket arm. You know, who could who could pitch it the farthest? I I'd love to figure out a yeah, way yeah. to kind of bring the program back like that. Two or three events. The farthest throw, you have a moving target, you drive a golf cart across and see if somebody hit the target. And you do a couple little things. Maybe an agility one and boom, that's it. And it takes 30 minutes and you put it right before the spring game. You get the people in the stands early, buying extra hot dogs and extra beers. Why not? All right. Well, Mike and I are going to get busy planning this idea that no one will probably run with. So, uh, uh, but listen, it, it was a good show. It was a fun show. We're glad we could catch up with Doug Gabriel and get his thoughts on his, his time and, and where UCF is today. And obviously all the, uh, the fun revelry in between. Again, don't forget sons of UCF live coming at you Thursdays, 8 PM on all your social media stuff featuring the, the star of the show, Mike one, uh, an unbearded trace Trelco and a cavalcade of guests, trace Trelco. Uh, literally last week we had no guests at one o'clock by one Oh three. We had two. Uh, so trace Trelco is, uh, always working hard to find people to, to bring on the live show. And we've been in luck, Mike. Every week we've been like, ah, oh, we got nothing to talk about. And then, boom, some big news happens. So maybe we were good luck and something will happen on Wednesday or Thursday morning. And you can tune in 8 p.m. on social media and react to it with us, as always. Uh, and uh, normal pods will keep coming out each week. Again, some people are leaving around here, but we're not some of those people. We're going to be here for you. Sons of UCF, you can always, always count on us, Mike. I figure by Thursday night, we may have an AD in place. So we'll have something to talk about then too. Uh, Trace with his show, he's done a great job now leading the charge on that show. And it's basically the Trace Tropo show featuring the sons of UCF now. Right? Is that what we're calling it? Yeah, I don't, have, I don't have to talk. I just have to hit the buttons, which is a lot easier. You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> have to book the guests. Or, I mean, I kind of helped book one of them. But I don't. I mean, I just get to hit the buttons and make all the funny graphics, which is all I care about. Trace Amigos. The Trace Amigos. There it is. Uh, yeah, so uh, I look forward to it. And we'll probably have some more big news. And then by the next week, we'll probably have a new head coach. So 
usually the off seasons are a little slow around here. Not the case this season, which is good for us because we're doing basically two shows a week. <laughs> well, and if you're not sick of us yet, you will be before this uh, the summer rolls around. Trust us on that one. But uh, we will let you enjoy the rest of it. Is whatever it is you are doing right now. Thank you so much for listening in to the Sons of UCF. Again, make sure you follow us, subscribe, rate, review, do all that fun stuff. We appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll talk to you later on this week. Until then, go Knights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.